70. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden. With your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us this morning. I am Beta with Palladio in Memphis. She is, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, the administrator of our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. And what a fine one it is. In fact, I had a gentleman uh, ask a question the other day. on uh, one of the, He was on... One of the employees answered the phone at work. Uh-huh. And I forget <laughs> exactly what the question was, but he had a picture Mm-hmm. And I said, man, tell this gentleman the best thing he can do is post this picture on Mid-South Gardening, the Facebook page. Right. And he will get an answer immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I forget exactly what it was, yeah. but I mean, it just, that's the first thing that came to my mind was, was post a yeah. picture on the, well, on the <laughs> yeah. Facebook page. Good, good. That works out very well. Uh, I don't think I posted anything this week. All, this is one of those weeks that went fast. Yeah, I don't remember seeing anything from no, you. We but had I a lot sure of questions this week about yeah. blueberries. But, you know, here we all three are, right? Right. Up here in this in this room, in, room at the studio. Uh-huh. And we're glad that Jim is here with us this morning. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Jim, you were saying that this was some Saturday morning. mornings are, are more interesting than others. Yes. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'm always here like 30 minutes early. You are. I'm just the way things are. You are. You know, but went out <laughs> to the car this morning, and, and, you know, I have one of those cars. I, they call them smart cars, I guess, that, you know, you have to have the fob to, to do anything. Well, <laughs> it, it would unlock the car, mm-hmm. you know, but the when I reach for the doorknob and it's supposed to unlock itself, it would not. <laughs> so, um, anyway, when I got in the car, it said there's no key in the car, you know, and I'm holding it in my hand. <laughs> so it, it would not crank. So I thought, well, I'll try to remote start it. Of course, I remote started it and it did just fine. <laughs> But then when I tried to do something, it set the alarm off. <laughs> oh, no. So I'm waking up the neighbors yeah. <laughs> with the alarm. Finally got the alarm off. Could not get the car cranked. But the alarm's on, but the car's not running. Right. So anyway. Um, oh, Lord. I, well, I'm going to take Carol's car. No problem. You know, we've got a 1999 Camry that we inherited from her mom that, that she just loves to death. Of course, I don't drive it much. And when I get in there, if it's dark inside, I don't know where anything is. <laughs> oh, no. No, it's you alien. Know. Yeah. Right. But anyway, I crank the car up, you know, and start to turn around and check the door. And the door hasn't gone down on the garage. And I knew I pressed the button. So I press the button again, and it goes down and stops about two feet off the ground and goes back up. So, okay, it's got to be one of those days. I pull back in the driveway, <laughs> crank, the, press the button again. Sure enough, goes down, goes right back up. And I go over there, so I manually punch the number in on the little pad. Exactly. Goes down, goes back up. That's what I, oh, So boy. this, I've created enough disturbance now that Carol's come downstairs. <laughs> What's wrong with the door? At 530 in the morning, yeah. you know. So. You know, I'm trying several times. Nothing oh. happens. So finally, there is a piece of a sweet gum leaf oh. stuck to the bottom of the door. And Carol says, pull that leaf off. And you're like, that's <laughs> well, not going to make any on, difference. Man. Yeah. Do you want to help me Perfect. Here? Door went right down. <laughs> oh, Lord. Got in the car, hit it this way, you know, in like the first turn I made. 
spill my coffee over <laughs> on the floorboard. <laughs> you know, and it lands just so that it all pours out. You know, it's got that little tiny hole in it there, you know, where if it lands any other yeah. way, it yeah. would hold the coffee right. in Might there. get a few drops out. But it did not. It landed just perfectly to empty the whole cup. Sorry, Carol, I will clean the car when I get home. Why does someone <laughs> else's misery make you feel so great? <laughs> you know, God. Jim, wow. oh, buddy. Oh, man. Hey, the rest of the day is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, there's no down from here. <laughs> man, I know the traffic is crazy in the mornings at this time of morning. I it's could not crazy. believe it. I am in the slow lane, mm-hmm. in the 55-mile-an-hour zone, doing 70 uh-huh. just yeah. to stay between the cars. Yeah. And I, and I yeah. was not passing anyone. No but there were cars passing me. Mm-hmm. Had to be doing near 100 yeah. this morning. Yeah. Yeah. In oh, the sorry, fog. Sorry, yeah. sorry. You know, that's the way it is coming down one at Grove. Yeah, also, I guess one of them was was uh, Beta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Because <laughs> I was trying to chase the guy down that was on my tail, making me mad. And so then I thought I'd chase him. No, not really. No, I mean you are. You're stuck. Like I got stuck between a car going 45 and one going 90, and I'm in between them, mm-hmm. and there's no out. No, oh, it's crazy. I'm like somebody's gonna have to go faster, or somebody's gonna have to slow down because this isn't gonna end and very well. If you well. drive the speed limit, all you see is you know taillights coming uh-huh. on. Oh God, there's somebody you know yeah, like but stopped yes. in the lane. Right. But, but you made the comment. I mean, on a normal clear day, you're gonna mm-hmm. see that. But I mean, it's so. I mean, that fog is out there so. Mm-hmm thick that you're thinking man uh, you know you you should be just creeping along (laughs) no it it doesn't matter at all i was going so fast i couldn't see the fog yeah i had a (laughs) exactly see that jim (laughs) i had a picture a guy sent me a picture on the phone of course and uh of course that's just a new way to communicate right Mm -hmm. is with pictures on the phone and in this case it was actually a very clear picture i could see what was going on and this gentleman had a beautiful, at one point, um, youngish Japanese maple, okay? About six foot tall, single trunk, and the deer antlers had just <laughs> rubbed every bit of bark off of this trunk of this mm-hmm. tree. Now, remember we talked about this last week, telling him what to do. Well, and no, but this was the the... The bark was completely gone. Yeah, the I deer mean, rub. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then, like I said, he wanted to know, is there, okay, what what should I cover this thing with? Mm-hmm. And what should I paint on here? I'm like, it, it, it's over, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and I'm bringing this up because I've had somebody else tell me the same thing happened to their tree. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I mean, where are these people? Where are the deer? Yeah. You know? And, uh, and in this case, like I said, it, it had rubbed the cambium, the bark off all the way around the tree, all the way up the trunk. And there's just absolutely nothing you can do. It's just not going to come back. I mean, there's nothing you can do at this point. Now, like I told him, if there was just some bark left on one side of the trunk of the tree, maybe. Let's see if this thing will come back out and heal over it. But, y'all, I mean, it was a shame. I'm telling you. And this was a prized Japanese maple in a perfect spot. And everything was perfect until oh, Mr. Deer showed up. So, you know, I, I don't know. I guess if you live in a rural area, mm-hmm. I mean, it does it go ahead and make sense to wrap that trunk with some tree wrap or, you know, some kind of hardware cloth or something? Yeah, hardware and, cloth if you know you got deer in the area. Just to keep that from happening, yeah. because you know who's going to, who would ever think that that's what's going to kill your Japanese maple? Right, right. I Unless mean, you've got. Ex- yeah, that's a that's the thing. It's almost a given, especially out in the country, on new tender things you plant. You do really have to just go ahead and do that preventative. 
and put that um, gardener's cloth around it. And, and you say barrier. country. This gentleman lives here in the city limits. Yeah, see, that's one that I wouldn't oh, yeah. think of. You yeah, know? I wouldn't think it, about me it. Me either. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought that a deer is going to go out there and rub the bark completely mm-hmm. off of my Japanese maple? And, of course, we all know this thing is going to die. But I was reading last night, what is the deal with these Japanese maples and the deer? And, of course, it makes sense. It says they like young trees with smooth bark, Mm -hmm. like maples and magnolias and birches, those kind of trees. They just get in there and just rub Mm -hmm. those little antlers and just, and you know, they're just doing what they do. But at the same time, they are killing some of these trees. And then I said, you know, it made me think, like you did, Veda, yeah, if I live out in the country, you know, and I know there's a lot of deer out there, then, yeah, I'm going to probably do that, protect that tree. But if I'm living somewhere here in the city, and it's, it's a nice, beautiful neighborhood, but evidently there's deer, right. <laughs> there's deer out there. There's deer everywhere around here. So it's just, um, you know, it just makes you think. I mean, the varmints, y'all. I mean, how many times do we say gardening would be easy if it wasn't for the varmints, mm-hmm. you know? And we fight them all the time. Chipmunks, squirrels, raccoons, possums, deer, armadillos, you know, and yeah. everything in between. And it just, you don't have to live in a rural area to to come across these things. <laughs> to have deer damage? No. Mm-hmm. no or no, any of these don't. other kinds of damage. Well, they're in Bartlett. Um, one winter, they ate all the buds off my deciduous azaleas you oh. know, at about three feet high. Oh, painful. So, I mean, there could only have been a deer. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. There are some as close as like a half a mile. There's a... a 50-acre park, woody mm-hmm. park there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably where they're coming from. And I've seen them in there hiking many times. Uh, but, yeah, he apparently just was wandering around and found my Zaya. And, and it makes me always think back. When I first moved into the house that I'm in now, the neighbor behind me had moved in about the same time. And this is before we even had any fences up around our yards. Every day he would get a wheelbarrow full of corn and push it out there in the backyard and invite these this herd of deer <laughs> to come over there and start munching on this, this corn. Well, to this day, the ancestors of those deer are still around my house, I'm telling you. And I've got a gap in the back corner of my fence just wide enough, I think, for a deer to get through. Mm-hmm. And y'all, I'm finding deer prints in my backyard. I mean, it, I'm like... All right, so do I get a bag of milorganite and just scatter it everywhere and hope that that repels them out of there? Well, this is your good experiment phase. See, because it's just that one gap. Of course, now you could put some wire or something. Oh, I'm going to. Oh, yeah. But you should experiment and just put milorganite like out to the front and right in that little space where they can get through and see if that is. And the only reason that I haven't done it in the corner of my backyard, that's what goes up into the woods. Mm -hmm. Okay. So anytime I have debris other than grass clippings, which I just dump in a back bed, but if I got limbs and those kind of um, things, no, no, I'm just <laughs> I'm just squeezing through the fence and just throwing them back there in the woods. Yeah. It's all organic matter I'm right. throwing back there. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to take that away from me, mm-hmm. but I almost have to do it because uh, the varmints that are coming from the woods into my know. property. I'd have well, to. Well, I'd act- put a gate yeah, there so of I'd some type. Uh, I mean, fish just wire you bend back and forth. Yeah. And, Twist a swing door there. or something because your six foot fence isn't going to stop a deer anyway. If okay. he wants to come in your backyard, it's just you know up and over. Okay. So well, and, and now yeah. it's not so much the deer. I'm seeing you know a lot of rabbits this last year. Yeah. And you know they're just munching on bedding mm-hmm. plants and, and and you know they love the con- the container plants also. Oh yeah. So yeah, like the like I said, if it wasn't for the varmints, y'all, mm-hmm. we could actually <laughs> have a pretty good time growing things around here. Oh, 
Oh, but then you wouldn't have the joy of watching how cute they are when they nibble on your plants. See, you always try to bring out the good and, and the bad, and it's not working. There, I can hear everybody saying, you obviously haven't had an animal eat your $200 hosta. Exactly. <laughs> In that case, yes, that, that's not so cute. So, guys, if you've had any deer rubs on any trees on your property, like I said, especially these smooth-barked trees, uh, I mean, I'd go ahead and wrap them up and try to protect them because it's going to happen. Hey, I've seen the pictures. Well, let's run to a break, and y'all can give us a call at 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You can stream us online if you can't pick us up well right now. Watch us on Facebook Live. Uh, if you can't listen to the whole show, you can listen to our podcast and... Um, you can post questions during the week on our Facebook page. Mid South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. I took that 6, 7, and 8 off for a while, but I put it back on because it, you know, we're really, although we're based here in Memphis, we're, you know, we have a lot of listeners or a lot of <clears throat> people on the Facebook group that are across the country and even some outside the country. Um, and really, if, if you live in an area from Baltimore to Dallas and 100 miles either side of a line drawn there, uh, or maybe even 200 miles in some places, we all have zone six, seven, and eight plants that are mostly going to survive in mm-hmm. there. Um, so the problems are the same, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, all the way up to even the western coastline up to Oregon. Yes. You know, so, it's, uh, it's, it's the same. A lot of the same issues. So, you know, I put it back on there. So when people are cru- cruising, looking for, you know, gardening groups that hopefully ours will pop up um, and people will join in. And we have uh, close to 8,300, something like that, <laughs> members now. Crazy. We're hitting somewhere around 2,400 a week as far as hits on it, and, you know, people looking at things. So. Uh, real pleased with the way it's turned out. We had a lot of questions this week on blueberries. Mm. Uh, so uh, sometime during yeah, the well, show here, what, we're going to... Yeah, what have <coughs> been people asking about blueberries? Well, mostly about, you know, how many do I plant? You know, mm. what kind do I plant? Um, there have, you know, traditionally for years and years, rabbit eyes have been the one that are for the, the best for the South. Now, there, you know, University of Georgia particularly has done a lot of hybridizing with the southern highbush. Uh, which is kind of a misnomer because you think, well, that's taller than the rabbit eye, but it's mm-hmm. not. It's actually a smaller plant. Than High bush eye. is smaller than rabbit yeah. eye. Um, you know, uh, so those you don't need, uh, they'll, they're self-pollinating. Mm-hmm. They will have so many more berries if you'll plant at least two varieties. But Talking you, about the high bush? The high bush. But you can, you know, like pink lemonade, that's mm-hmm. that's one that came out a number of years ago that's real popular. has pink blueberries. You know, I think it's kind of <laughs> weird. Yeah. You know? It looks good. Yeah, they're, they're not as pink. It's like the white like, red bud. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. or a yellow purple coneflower. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But Jim, so, I mean, because normally around here forever in the South, you know, like you said, the rabbit eye varieties were the ones of choice. Right. But you're saying at Georgia, they're doing some uh, research on some hybrid. Yeah, uh, and they're hybrid. great, you know, particularly if you have a small garden, don't have room but for one. Gotcha. You know, you'll have some good berries, and most of them are fairly hardy. You can grow them in a container. Um, so they're good. Now, with rabbit eyes, you need at least two and preferably three varieties to get your best pollination. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, 
best crops off of them. But if uh, we've got a file on blueberries in uh, on the Facebook group that tells you what you need to do and you know mm-hmm. a little bit about each variety. Tiff Blue is probably the one that's most widely grown yeah. in the South by commercial growers and that sort of thing. Uh, but there are a number of really good varieties. So. Yeah, yeah, and besides, they're really nice looking in the fall because you get beautiful fall color from them. So they're they're like an all season plant because I mean they're beautiful. Yeah. They've got gr- nice green, lush foliage in the summertime, and then you're getting the blueberries. And easy to grow. Yeah, yeah, they are. We I mean we carry the pink lemonade, and it's just always full of blueberries. And, and typically, where were the high bush being grown? More up north. You know, uh, yes, in uh, more in Appalachia, mm-hmm. and then up north, uh, and then of course a lot of the blueberries up front or the low bush, which you know they're practically ground level. Mm-hmm. They're really small things, um, but uh, we've got I think uh, we've got uh, I was looking here twenty plus varieties of high bush. Uh, that, that are, are hybridized that do well in this yeah. area, and we've got the ones that are better for southern climates underlined. Mm-hmm. So you know, you know, you're more likely to find those. Doesn't mean that they all won't, but there are some that just tolerate our heat a little bit better. And the biggest thing with blueberries, like you, well, you just said, Jim, they, you know, they can take the heat. They need more sun than shade. They need that acidic soil. Uh, and normally, it's always better to plant more than one. Now. When you say plant more than one, let's just say if you've got Tiff Blue, for example, which is being grown all around the Mid-South, you don't want two Tiff Blue. No. You want like a Tiff Blue and a Climax or a Tiff Blue and Premier, something that's going to pollinate back and forth, not two of the same variety. Right, right. Yeah, and cor- t- oh, go ahead. And, and the most important thing about blueberries is getting your pH down low where it needs to be. For good production, around five is excellent. It'll, yeah. t- it'll go four and a half without any issue. So it needs much more acidic soil than we have here uh, to to get your best production. So. And do you like incorporating uh, uh, just regular sulfur? Do you like aluminum sulfate or any any of those that's going to bring that pH down? Well, I typically use aluminum sulfate because I keep it on hand for my hydrangeas. Right. Okay, to make them bluer. Um, so, yeah. but it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just the important thing is that you do it, you know, and yeah. get it on down. I had a friend that... Um, grew did a lot of blueberries in the um whiskey barrels that's mm-hmm. it the half cut whiskey barrels yeah. and she just used organ you know potting soil compost mm-hmm. holly tone yeah that's what she used mm-hmm. and because you know you, you've more controlled circumstances in a container she had beautiful lots of blueberries you would think by the amount that she would bring in, that she had this whole orchard. Do you have orchards and blueberries? They have blueberry fields. Fields, full of, that's yeah. it. I was like, wait, I don't think you have full a blueberry of blueberries. orchard. Blueberry uh, fields. Yeah, just you think she had a field of blueberries, but just just from containers. Well, so. and remember, I was telling y'all the last time I was in Alabama, in Birmingham in particular, um, I noticed how they were using blueberries in their landscapes as a landscape shrub. Mm -hmm. And, Betty, you mentioned the fall color, and that was one of the big reasons they were using it for the beautiful fall color. Not as an ornamental for blueberries, but I'm telling you, as an ornamental because of the way the the bush was so pretty. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of blew me away that these were blueberries that they were using as a small hedge. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, not for the blueberries. Isn't that funny how we put things in compartments? Mm-hmm. This is a, a, a edible plant, so it can't go in my landscape. But now we're starting to mix things up. I was thinking, okay, you can, even if you're on a patio, you can have, or a larger patio, or 
um, you can do like the blueberries in containers mm-hmm. have great results. The like the creep the creeping fig, the generi nary uh, fig, and the or even the little miss piggy. Thank you, little yeah. miss. Yeah, those you can do in containers. A little miss piggy in thank this case. Thank you. Yeah. I, I was like, I don't know anymore. <laughs> and then the Malabar spinach we talked about last mm-hmm. week. So you can grow that also because that's all vertical upright. And those are different things besides just having peppers and tomatoes on your patio. We can we can start expanding. So you don't have to just have this big yard full of areas to plant all this stuff. Just just do uh, a few containers of things. And Jim, you were mentioning, you know, the pH as far as being acidic for blueberries. What's, what is the typical, typical pH here in the Mid-South? I mean, is it around six? Yeah, that would be a good average, yeah. yeah. If, if you get out into areas that have been farmland for 100 years or more, yeah. you know, out in Cordova, most of those we'll see up in the six, six and a half range. Yeah. Um, Typically, our just plain unimproved clay soil here runs about five and a half. And, and but you still even five is better than five and a half. Even oh, though yeah. five and a half is going to be acceptable, you yeah. want to get around five pH for the blueberries. For yes. blueberries, yeah. yeah. The more acidic you can get it down to about four and a half, the better your production is going to be. Hey, is there um, a certain type of sulfur or fertilizer I should not use in a container that would? Not I mean, re- I, I remember back in the day, there were some things that you could not use in a container. The fertilizers. Well, there are a lot of stuff. fertilizers that tell you on the container not to use in them containers. in containers. And that's mm-hmm. because in the process of making fertilizer, there are a couple of ways you can do it. The one that costs you the most money, mm-hmm. you can use things like Osmocote right. and that sort of thing. But inexpensively made fertilizers will create a lot of soluble salts when you mm-hmm. start watering. So you'll get these white discharges. You'll get white around the edge of the pot, uh, around the soil line. All of that is caused from salt, and that can cause serious damage to your plant. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back. You're listening to KWAM, AM 990 and 107.9. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, on the Mighty 990 and 1079 FM, KWAM. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can be with us this morning. And I had asked, um, I remembered that there were certain products that you could not actually use in a container. Right. Well, yeah, we were talking about fertilizers. Mm-hmm. And how some are going to be safer to use in containers than others, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And Jim, you were saying usually the high price fertilizers you're perfectly fine using, like Osmocote, which is right. costs more than some of the quick release fertilizers, but it's worth the cost because it's such a good slow release, non burning type fertilizers. And then a lot any of the organics that Beta was talking about, Holly Tone, while ago in containers. Mm-hmm. So, but you're just saying be careful with some of these. Yeah, just going in and buying a bag of, say, uh, azalea camellia fertilizer right. for your yard and wanting to put that in a container, right. even with blueberries or something, that's not a good quality fertilizer to be doing that with. Uh, like I say, you'll get, and, and you've probably noticed it on clay pots if you've had them in the house and been using something like miracle Grow, you'll get this white, crusty stuff that forms around the, the drainage holes and also around the soil line, and that is a, that is a, a, a soil salt. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and when that dilutes in water and is absorbed into the plant, it will cause things like it accumulates in the tips and the margins of leaves. So like the tips of your dracaenas will burn, mm-hmm. turn brown. The edges of leaves um, can uh, can brown. So it's, it's really you don't want if you're going to you would be better off not to fertilize the plant than to use something yeah. like miracle Grow. in in your container plants (laughs) also a lot of these fertilizers um you know have really quick release nitrates in them yeah and you can just burn your plants up you know i've I've heard and seen people using triple 13 in containers i'm not saying you can't get away with it but if you have just a slightly heavy hand on something like that you go burn your plants up Mm -hmm. yeah and something else you want to watch too now so many fertilizers and, and some of the better quality ones now of course, they don't have a lot of fertilizer in them, but uh, some of uh, like, uh, what's the liquid that, that's... Uh, like Fox Farm? Fox Farm yeah. products, yeah, okay. A lot of those now have added microbes into them. They do. You want to be careful with those, too, because um, like particularly azaleas can be damaged by the microbes that most other plants like because they use a different set of microbes. Uh, and it... it I had a discussion a number of years ago with a Mr. Richardson, I think was passed now, but he was president of the American uh, Azalea Society. And he was real sure that peat moss mm-hmm. was killing uh, azaleas. azaleas because of the microbes that were in there, um, that, that it would destroy the, the beneficial night microbes around the azaleas. And, and it's azaleas in particular that we're talking about. Right. Yeah. A- anything in, that we call ericaceous plants, and that would be azaleas, camellias, pieris, mm-hmm. um, uh, blueberries, yeah, things like that. Yeah, yeah though you want to be very careful about which microbes that you add around them. And usually if you'll read the label, kind of important, read the label, and it will tell you not to use them around certain plants. Isn't that crazy, though? You would think that any microbe in the soil would be a good microbe around any plant, good mm-hmm. for any root structure. Right. But it's just a few of these plants we're talking about that have a different enzyme or whatever it is that they rely on. Uh, and it's the the good microbes that are good for 99% of mm-hmm. the plants can be detrimental for these right. plants. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's like... Every plant needs microsia, microsia, but not everyone does, I found out, every plant, that there's a few that doesn't require to have that soil web going on to uh, feed. And you would think that can't be possible. Just like you said, it can't be possible, but that beneficial microorganisms for everything is great, except for that 99.9%. That one little percent doesn't like it. Yeah, there are a number of plants that uh, uh, can create their own uh, and, and, or don't need the relationship to, to break down nitrogen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have, have their own ability to reduce it regular nitrogen to nitrates or nitrites. Into a, to, into a workable form right. that they can take into the You know, it's like um, uh, some uh, barberries will actually raise their pH to get it mm-hmm. the soil to where yeah. they want it to be. Man, uh, it's amazing. It just goes, <clears throat> man, the more you know, the more you don't know. I mean, it's yeah. like you're almost afraid to give answers anymore. You know, I spend most of the week sitting in my recliner and reading. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Doing a little something, yeah. something. But like this week, there was a, a really interesting article about fire ants. Mm-hmm. What they found is that um, the venom is actually used by the ants as an antibiotic. <clears throat> the biggest danger inside of an ant hill are uh, bacteria that can destroy mm-hmm. the ants. So they actually feed the venom to the larva, uh, other adults, uh, and it works as an antibiotic to prevent bacteria from infecting the fire yeah. ant mound. So, I mean, it has another purpose other than just making you yeah. hurt like heck. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It is. Golly, like Veda said, the more you know about nature, man, the, le- the more you don't know about well, it. Well, it sure mm-hmm. makes me think, how are we even making plants live? <laughs> you know, I mean, the things that we do. Well, well, you know, and I've always said, you know, most plants will survive despite us. Yeah. You know, <laughs> regardless of what we do to them. <laughs> but but most, most good soils are chock full of mycorrhiza already, which is a beneficial fungi that's in there. And it has a symbiotic relationship, like Jim said, with the root system of plants that we put down. Okay. And adding more mycorrhiza is usually not a bad thing at all. In fact, you, 99% of the time it's a good thing. And a lot of these, like you said, Beta, a lot of these newer fertilizers, whether it's a liquid version like Fox Farm Big Bloom, it's got mycorrhiza added to it, um, uh, microbrew, kangaroots, all of those are liquid products that have mycorrhiza added to it. But even the dry products, all the espoma products yeah. now, the garden tones, flower tones, holly mm-hmm. tones, plant tones, all of those products have mycorrhiza added to it. Yeah, you used to just look at the label for the nitrogen, potassium, Just those three numbers. Just one of those <laughs> three. Yeah, uh-huh. now, we're, now we're looking at the micronutrients, how many bacilluses they have in it, all the microorganisms. We're looking for so much more than MPK. And remember, you know, back in the uh, spring or summer, you know, one in particular called Biotone, B-I-O-T-O-N-E. Biotone is a product also biospoma. And it has 50% more mycorrhiza in it than the other tone products. Mm-hmm. It's still got the fertilizer, you know, all the organic material in there to make fertilizer. But it's, it just makes, you know, it makes gardening easier overall oh, for it? all of it us. It does. It is easier, I, mean, I, I think, because we don't have to work so hard at getting the right soil mixture for our plants mm-hmm. because so many soils now have... A plethora of different varieties of soils mixed in one, and and now it's almost like you can get gourmet soil. Oh, yeah, you yeah. know, you know, back years ago, uh, I think probably Monrovia was one of the first to understand and use this in container production. But I, I think back in the, as far back as the seventies, they were using thirteen different types of soil to support the mycorrhiza. To make the plants grow better. Wow. So, you know, it's uh, it has become, it, it really, science has finally gotten into it now. Well, well and I, I had someone call and ask me if we carried the Fox Farm soil. And I said, yeah, we do. We're out right now. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, that's the one I really want. It buffers the pH the best. And I was like, it buffers the pH? Fox Farm buffers the pH? I was like, oh, you know, well. Try Dan West because I know they carry it too. And so he hangs up and I'm going, buffers the pH. Who needs that? And I said, I bet you they're growing. Yes, they are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so it, and it automatically, mm-hmm. I, see, you can explain the science of it. I understand what they're meaning, but what? <laughs> How it's buffering the pH automatically. 
Mm-hmm. Or am I still not understanding it totally? Well, I mean, his terminology is not really on cue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. What he's looking for is a product that's pretty much ready to go out of the bag, and then with the nutrients that he's using, uh, the pH should remain the same. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, but I, I tried to because I was like, well, we have the Earth Mix, which is a great mixture of all these other types of nutrients too. But also, I do know that Fox Farm was originally more for the hemp grower. <clears throat> What's the other? What is it called now? What, we don't say. Do we? Do we say? <laughs> can we say that word marijuana? It used to be such a word that you didn't say. We can say alcohol, but, but you can't say marijuana. <laughs> but you, you're right. I mean, typically with Fox Farm potting soils, whether it's the Ocean Forest, which has got a lot of uh, ocean byproducts in it. And whether it's the happy frog, which has a lot of the mycorrhiza added mm-hmm. to it. Uh, I mean, of course, you can use this. Is, those are two really good potting soils, and we sell tons of both. Uh, but we were talking about the mycorrhiza in particular. You, you can buy potting soils mm-hmm. that have mycorrhiza added to it. It doesn't have to be fertilizers. Yeah. So, uh, and, and we're talking about making gardening easier for us, especially if you're doing it in containers. You know, you do want to use a good, high-quality potting soil. You don't want to get that $2 bag potting soil Mm -hmm. and try to grow a $5 plant. It just, it doesn't work. And that's why we used to be told that it takes about three years to get your soil built really good because you were waiting for that soil web to happen, the mycorrhiza and the beneficial uh, bacterias and all that stuff. You were waiting for that to happen. But now, since we've got more improved soil with additives, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, doesn't necessarily take three years to get a good crop. And I've seen people growing tomatoes, Jim and Veda, in mm-hmm. Ocean Forest and Happy Frog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you've seen them growing tomatoes. <clears throat> yes, I have. Like, with basil. <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah. But, you know, I mean, think about it. The uh, Like our reps that sell us all of our fertilizers and things like that um, have ca- catalogs full of all the things to grow marijuana and hemp because you know the medicinal growing and they got to get all their supplies somewhere so now it's so crazy our guys that would sell us or women that would just sell us our insecticides and fungicides and soils now have this whole other that's amazing industry to work in well we have to go to a break so after the break y'all or call us on the break 2605926 we'll be right back Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can be with us. Got all kinds of wonderful topics going on this morning. But if you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. And of course, you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening. And then if you miss all of this, you can always go back to the podcast later on, Jim, uh, kwmradio.com, Miss mm-hmm. Beta, and listen, listen to, to all the our podcast. previous shows. At, <clears throat> and then during the week. Excuse me. If you've got a question, just post it on our Facebook group, and someone will get back to you really quick. It's Mid-South so fun. Gardening. It mm. is. It's fun. It's like a, another family. So we, you want to talk about gardening, and you don't have anybody to talk about gardening <laughs> with for all so day. So we were talking just before the break about uh, um, hemp, marijuana, growing that. So the question I have to my fellows here is, does marijuana help pain? And I'm like, absolutely, positively. Okay, we have, we have yes. one yes. I mean, I guess it would, I mean, I, I, I don't, don't know enough about it, but I think it, if you, 
cannabis would in love that he said i don't know enough about it he invented no i don't really cover his ass but yeah i mean but but you know people have have taken it for medicinal reasons so (coughs) i'm gonna say yes okay well the truth of it is that it doesn't okay in there were two recent studies done and the these studies looked at the results from like 20 different uh studies Mm -hmm. done before them and analyzed them Looked at ones that were double blind, where neither the doctors or the no patients knew, knew yeah. what they were getting, uh, versus a placebo. And those where the doctors actually did know, yeah. but the patients <clears throat> didn't. And there was absolutely no difference in the results. Uh, placebos were just as effective against perceived pain as marijuana was. So it was a mental thing? It is. It's pretty much a mental thing. You think that you're getting pain relief and therefore you do. So, but that see, like, I watch terminally ill people smoke it and be able to function much no, better. It, it does help your mood. It helps you relax. Okay. Yeah. There, there are a number of medicinal benefits from it. Now, I'm not yeah. saying that it's not. Okay. But people who think that they're they're going to be pain free. Is that's a whole other thing. Yeah, it, I, see, I a can't lot agree of it has with to, that. Uh, well, I understand that. Yeah, but, I mean that's right. What that's the, the science behind says. it. But yeah, that is amazing. That if you think you're taking it with a placebo, you're just as likely to have pain relief as you are if you're taking it with see whatever it is THC in it. Or well, whatever. so they, I guess, and because there again, I don't know enough about it, but I know for medicinal reasons, you know, that's I guess are they not giving that to people for pain or are they doing it for other reasons so like i'm saying like, like you said you for the mood know. yeah because like <laughs> i can't sleep at night and you can't take so you can't sleep at night and you can't take medicines but you smoke that and then all the pain goes away and you fall asleep immediately but yeah. I w- if i was happy i would have stayed up being happy yeah. but no yeah. i don't know i, d- I don't know because placebos you, my, don't work my daughter works in a cancer clinic uh you know in in there, some of the compounds that are in it are used for their cancer patients, but it's more to help them relax. Right. Um, the, apparently, there's some benefit with other drugs. Um, mm-hmm. So, but you know, it's anyway. But the mind is able to do a lot that, that we don't and that's even the know. Important thing. So yes. you know, it could be cycling through that way. That's so true. I mean, that's a whole big positive thing about thinking positive. <laughs> Our brain's a muscle. We just got to exercise the right parts of well, it. Well, and, and I'll get, we'll get off this kick here in a second. But also, you know, uh, talking to some of the the sellers of marijuana, uh, gardening, no, of, of gardening, <laughs> that you're about to just of gardening material. You know, even uh, a couple of years ago when the hemp industry was so big, everybody and their mother was getting into growing that yeah. on a large scale. Uh, and then, of course, you know, there's always going to be a downside yeah. or a downturn, if you will. And most of those people are no longer doing right. it. They're, now, I'm sure there's still some big farms out there where they've kind of all gotten together. And like anything else, there's going to be, you know, some of these bigger farms that will uh, win out, if you yeah. will. But I remember, you know, again, talking to a salesman a couple of years ago. They were sending literally truckloads of material up to these hemp farms. Mm-hmm. And I mean, 18-wheeler yeah. uh, truckloads full of material for, to grow this stuff. And uh, I was just kind of like scratching my head at that time, like there's no way this many people can be growing this stuff and all of them survive. 
Oh, all the industry. Right. All the, yeah, just right. like garden centers and all. I mean, it, it was <laughs> crazy, though. Well, it's, it's because, like, you do have to be a business person also to run a garden center. So a lot of times you're thinking it's just growing, and they grow good. So they're trying to expand and then realize, well, you got to also <clears throat> know how to do that end of the business. And also, guys, talking to a customer the other day at the garden center, switching subjects. You know, we've all, it seems like every house at some point that you live in is going to have this same scenario. You've got a side yard, okay? And the side yard is, you know, you got the side of the house, you've got this little stretch of grass, and then you've got a fence. And there's just, depending on which way everything's positioned, no sun getting into this little side area at oh, all. Oh, that space. That yeah. space, yeah. <laughs> and I was talking to a lady, in this, in this also, these people were living in a zero lot line, so the houses were even closer together, and the fences mm-hmm. were even closer to the house. So there was this little six-foot-wide strip area between the house and the fence, okay? And she had some pavers, of course, going right down the center of this area. Mm-hmm. And she's been trying to grow things on either side of the pavers. You know, she's tried ferns, and she's tried ground covers, and she's tried everything under the sun, but it's a really shaded environment. And I was like, well, you know, a lot of these ground covers, like, you know, Pachysandra and the ferns should have worked. She's like, I'm telling you, I've tried it all. I really take care of the plants, and nothing works. So then it got my head, you know, scratching my head Mm -hmm. thinking, sometimes— Maybe you just need to bite the bullet and put some edging down on either side of these stepping stones and put gravel or put pine straw or something instead of just trying to go with the live plant. Because in this case, she's like, no one ever goes over there. Oh, shoot. You know, now, yeah, we've got a path there because that goes Mm -hmm. out of a gate just in case you ever had to go over there. Yeah. But I'm just thinking, you know. Don't fight it. I Just, like all real natural mm-hmm. stuff. I like plants better than I like rocks. But in this case, I said, you know, you might get that those two little strips defined mm-hmm. on either side of this walkway because nothing's growing back there anyway. And, you know, they tried grass initially before, before they even put the pavers down. And I'm just thinking, you know, get some, you know, some, some kind of either mulch or mm-hmm. get some pine needles, or get some gravel. Or amend your soil. <clears throat> you it know, sounds or, like maybe it's a soil well, issue, too. I mean, it, but she's just beyond that because she has tried it, everything. Mm-hmm. In her mind, you know, she's done everything right, and she's tried everything. So, I mean, it, you know, even though it hurt my head <laughs> to recommend something like gravel, because there again, it's not a big area at all. I'm just thinking sometimes, guys, you know, these natural products are better than trying to grow something alive if it doesn't want to grow there. And if you're not on that side anyway, we'll be right back for another hour, 260-5926. You're listening to 990 AM News Talk Radio 107.9. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad we could be with you today. We're ready for our second hour. Um, You know, what else is really cool with all the stuff that we've discovered is is how things are bioluminescent. Bioluminescent. Bio, bioluminescent. Luminescent. There you yeah, go. thank <clears throat> you so much. I knew one of y'all would get me. Uh, like mushrooms. You know, you can see there's so many varieties. 
but then there's like a hundred that glow in the dark, mm-hmm. not with the black light. <laughs> yeah. One time, my boys, when they were small, were running through the sewers and their storm drains out in Bartlett, you know. Yeah. And they got up in there where it was really dark and they stopped. And suddenly they could see these Ooh. worms gloating <laughs> on the sides of the tank. Oh. I'm out of there. the tubes. Count out. me out. out they came. <laughs> oh, wow. God. Well, good thing they told you, huh? So they didn't spend their life wondering what, what that being was in the cave. I know. It's incredible what plants can do. Now, what, what is the benefit of that, I wonder, other than... Or something we may not even know. Exactly. Right well, most of it is to attract prey. Yeah. You know, but there are some that uh, it, it may be just for mating purposes. Uh, but the vast majority of it is for to get something to eat. You know, they say there's 135,000 varieties of mushrooms. That would be that we know of. And I don't like uh-huh. any of them. You not even... Oh, I wouldn't eat a mushroom if you really? paid me. Really? I just no. would not yeah. think of you as a non-mushroom eater. <sighs> Never have lot. Li- yeah. You I should did. you should try the ones they have at uh, butcher shop. No, not gonna happen. Those are good. You know? They really right. are. Yeah. Because any mushroom that I've ever had, and this is years ago, uh, it's that springy, spongy <laughs> texture. texture yeah, that's that true. I cannot. Uh. Uh-uh. Huh. Mm. That's nope. funny. Um, guys, I was doing some reading last night, and I came across, uh, and tell me if, if y'all have heard of this one, or, or is this old news? You know, it seems like the shrub, and we've talked about these before, distilliums are really taking off in a lot of different places. Yes. But this one's called Bayou Bliss. Have you heard of that one yet? I have not heard of that one. And then, okay, well, Bayou Bliss, you know, it's a type of distillium. gets two to three foot tall, three to four foot wide. It's got the soft blue, green, fine textured foliage. And it has a really compost and round habit. And I'm thinking... That a is, compost and round well, habit? A, 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 a compact. Compact. <laughs> See, we're just round, having a hard time. And round habit. Um, and... I'm thinking, okay, here is another variety of distillium. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. you know, what, Jewel Box, there's oh, Vintage Jade, Blue Cascade, Cinnamon Girl, Copper Tone, swing Cast low. in Bronze, Swing. Yeah. I mean, but is this something that's going to really, you know, make its way into the landscape, or is this something like we're seeing, you know, there's just it's just too many there's varieties too out there. many. But... I really do like distillium, and a lot of mm-hmm. people are using distillium instead of yopon hollies right. and boxwoods Absolutely. and Indian hawthorns, for example. Right. You know that everyone I'm froze, you know, two mm-hmm. or three years ago. So, yeah, I, and, and even I really, for a replacement of the autolucan laurels, which has that uh, shot Luke, blight, which mm-hmm. we're really enjoying yeah. having the distillium to replace that. But I really do like the look of some of these mm-hmm. finer leafed, really thick, compact distilliums. You know, so I, I really, Jim, I mean, I was just thinking, you know, there is, it seems like they're coming out with a new variety every year, kind of like they did Laura Pedlums when it first came out. You know, there's always going to be a new <laughs> hosta every year. But what do you, what do y'all think about distilliums? I mean, in or out or good or bad? I'm going or, with them. I mean, there's, me too. um, trying to think if there's one I don't like. Every there's so many varieties, but still there's enough direct difference between a number of them to have different looks even though they're all distilling. Like what was the first one the Botanic Gardens planted? The uh J vintage, vintage, uh, vintage J. So yeah. that that was tall and 
kind of airy and got bigger than it said it was going to get. That, that's the only issue you know, that I have is that they haven't been on the market long enough for us really t- to see how big they can ultimately get. Mm-hmm. You know, <coughs> it were they were planted in the um, in the uh, formal garden there at the Botanic Gardens, they very quickly got too big. Mm-hmm. Uh, bigger than the label I said they were going to get. And so they started encringing on boxwoods, mm-hmm. which if they're shaded out, they die off and they don't come back. Mm-hmm. So um, I think if they're used properly, um, I think they, they're they good. I like the, the tall, upright, narrow ones for f- to replace fatinias and some of the hollies. Like the linebacker and the copper tone yeah. and some of those. I think right. those are good because you don't have to do anything to them. Just let them grow. They're mm-hmm. narrow and they grow right up. They have a big enough leave that I don't like to see them used as a hedge because mm-hmm. when you shear them, you got yeah. that brown Edge. cut part. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Um, so you know, if, if it's small enough that you can let it grow and not have to do anything other than just a little selective pruning, yeah. uh, I think that's great. Yeah, yeah, but I can't see hedging them. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it would look good. Uh-uh. Right. Well, maybe hedging or growing them as a hedge but you don't prune them have, as a that hedge. you never prune yeah. but see i'm just the opposite i like these smaller varieties mm-hmm. you know like the uh well especially the picture of the bayou bliss but the uh vintage jade and the you know the swing low and um cast in bronze and mm-hmm. some of those varieties i really think these are neat looking plants i mean they're definitely evergreen yeah. uh you know, there's not a whole lot of fuss about Thick them. And green looking, you know, there's yeah. no particular insects or disease that's uh, attacking them. Like you know, you mentioned the autolucan laurels. You know, with yep. the shot hole disease. Yeah, I get and that. I was like, <laughs> it's like I hope I get we that. don't discover one on there and be one that's worse than the shot hole blight. But because remember last week we were talking about a, des- a, a design that I was working on and I was using the combination of the swing low. And then the St. John's wort yeah. and ornamental grass and barberry. Yeah. And that was giving all different textures, but spacing them far enough apart where you get to enjoy each individual shrub versus them all crammed together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it just, but it got me thinking when I saw that yet another variety, Bayou Bliss, a new introduction of distillium. I'm just thinking, is this gone too far or. You know, is there really a place for each and every one of these varieties? Yeah. And if you start reading about them, there I mean, the is. texture's a little different. The color's a little different of the leaf. Some of them are more green. Some of them are blue-green. Some of them are more arching. Some of them are more upright. I mean, so there are differences between, right. you know, all these different varieties. And I'm starting to see more and more distillium planted uh, even in commercial sites. Right. You know? Oh, yeah. I'm seeing a lot, too. Um, so <laughs> and I, in ways that I don't think they know how big they get, and, and, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it, it is taking the place of some of the same old, same old that we've done for, you know, forever. Like I said, some of the, the hollies, you know, the dwarf hollies, the compactas, the yopons, the hellerize, the soft touches. They're all yeah. fine plants. Because they can be utilized in places that some of the hollies, like the Japanese hollies that can get the root rot. Yes. You can just may as well just like the hillerai. You know, the Hillary is really cool looking. I like it, but we have trouble with it. Or soft so touch. we could change mm-hmm. the distillium. I love, you know, in Texas, soft touch and Hillary did great. Yeah, got good drainage, they, you'll be fine. And there's, there's not enough rain or water there to make them rot in the coldness. But so there's I'm, no coldness where so I'm, I'm at. You know, I'm kind of, you know, leaning to the side where I, uh, I'm liking these distilliums. Uh, you know, it used to, I don't know why it would, it's not like it would bother me. Every time they came out with another variety, and we're thinking, oh, my God, we don't need another variety of anything, you know? Yeah. 
but it, like I said, the more you read about them and really take, you know, look at the pictures, I mean, they're all a little different. Uh, but it's probably just enough varieties out there now just to confuse yeah. people, you know? <laughs> so, so like 20 years from now, 30 years from now, gardeners will be rediscovering plants that we use now because because oh. all the new plants that we're mm-hmm. learning become old plants to them, like us with the Althea. Althea was oh, a forever ago plant, and now all of a sudden <clears throat> it's the rage. But before we're like, I know a plant Althea. And remember about, about everywhere. you know a couple of months ago, I was telling you about a new Althea that's more columnar. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh-huh. it, so I can't wait to see some of those. You know what we've done? We've made some of the old-fashioned plants just a lot better with new hybrids. This well, you know, and the upside of doing the hybrids is so many of them are sterile. And that was the big issue with Althea. Oh, you know, the okay. old Altheas, the double purple, double red. You had red. one, two, two years later, you had a hundred, You right? got a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, every seed germinated yeah. and they came up. But <clears throat> most of the new ones, all the ones that have the, the names of the Greek goddesses, Aphrodite, Helena, mm-hmm. uh, all of those are uh, are sterile. Maybe uh, so. they'll sterilize the privets because I still like the weeping well, privets. Well, there is one. Sunshine is mm-hmm. supposedly sterile. But the, uh, the the lady who makes the decisions here in Tennessee says, absolutely, we will not sell that in mm. Tennessee. Huh. So it's sold all around us. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Couldn't just blow in from another state. Yeah. <laughs> okay, y'all, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. We'd love to hear your comments or questions. You can also post them on our Facebook page. And you can call in if you don't want to be on air. You can just leave the question and uh, we'll get to it. So we'll be right back. 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Yes, we are back. I like that Christmas song. It's hey, got such power. Jan uh, Jan Childers, she texted in on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, and she said, Marijuana Mushrooms, is this the gardening show or a flashback? Yeah. Flashback <laughs> with a peace sign. I love her. Oh, I have hummingbird feeders with peace signs. There you go. I thought, you know, some of the younger kids would like that because of the peace signs everywhere. I'm trying or to I'm trying my best to keep it a garden people, show. Huh? So. You're trying to keep it a garden I hey, don't know. I got a question for both of y'all. And tell me what y'all honestly think. You know, a lot of times, or a lot of people have gardens in their backyard nowadays, you know, to grow. In vegetable gardens. Vegetable gardens, Jim. Yeah. yeah, to grow produce and so forth. How, how, how important do y'all think it is to to have a cover crop on that garden through the winter. Man, for me, I think it's really important because of all the benefits it has, right. but it's also to see some nice green or something different out there that could also attract wildlife yeah. or beneficials. Yeah. I mean, you know, whether it's annual rye that you're overseeding your vegetable garden with, whether it's, uh, you know, oats and peas yeah. and clover. Clover, yeah. Uh, what do you think, Jim? I mean, do you like to to use a cover crop just for the structure and the benefit of the soil, which I'm thinking of more than anything. Yes, I think it really <laughs> helps, helps break up the soil uh, and then in the spring just till it under, you know, mm-hmm. and it becomes organic matter. Now, yeah, you're going to get some weeds from it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but <clears throat> it's, uh, to me, yeah, I think it's worth uh, worth doing. Especially if you... And I, I like to use rape. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably, to me, it's one <laughs> of the best... Uh, um, cover cover crops. crops, yeah. So you go through the spring and summer with your spring and summer veggies, whether it's tomatoes, squash, eggplant, all those kind of things. And then late summer, early fall, you usually rip that stuff out of there and put your fall plants mm-hmm. in, uh, like the mustards. And Jim, you mentioned the rapes and the spinaches, spinaches and all those. Yeah. Uh, but if you're going to just leave that ground, uh, you know, with 
open and, mm-hmm. and nothing there during the winter, then that's where I think it really comes into play as in, in a really good idea of putting those cover crops down. Yeah, now it, leaving it bare has some advantages too because you get frost and freeze really helps improve the texture of your soil. Mm-hmm. So if it's left open to that, you do get some benefit from that. I mean, it's not like nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but planting, if it, particularly if you've had it there for a year or two, um, I you know, definitely I'd sow cover crop on it, you know. Annual ryegrass is cheap. Works great, mm-hmm. you know. And um, all you're doing, Jim, is is just tilling that stuff in uh, in the spring mm-hmm. and raking anything off from the top, of course, that you till up. Yeah, I just till you. Till just, it in but just keep tilling till you till yep. that stuff in, and that stuff's going to break down into organic matter. But then, if you do stuff like the rape, the peas, and the oats, you're also adding what nitrates to the soil. You're adding some amount, yes. Yeah. You know, um, particularly <laughs> if it's still green, um, but the more, the most important thing to me is just what it's doing to your soil mm-hmm. as far as improving the texture and getting deep roots to penetrate deep. That stuff, as it dies, breaks down mm-hmm. even below where you till. Uh, it's going to help improve your uh, the, the tilth of your soil. Yeah, it, because I'm, I know a lot of people, in fact, most of the people that I know that have backyard gardens mm-hmm. never, ever, ever put a cover know, crop on there in I the know. wintertime. And I'm just thinking, you know, why why, is, why are we not doing that? We just don't that? think about it and, <clears throat> and maybe some old thoughts and processes of how we used to garden versus now. You know, have you ever been outside? Of course, you've been outside and raindrops hit you and they're hard. Yeah. You know, it's hitting your head. Well, think about the uh, pressure per square inch that a raindrop puts on your soil. Mm-hmm. And Particularly can, under a tree. You get larger yeah, well, raindrops. Yeah, yeah, they collect together and drop true. down. Yeah, mm-hmm. Isn't that yeah. crazy? It is. So, I mean, that can cause some compaction. compaction. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. When, you know, when you're looking at 20 years of rain pounding down underneath a tree, no wonder it's compacted mm-hmm. underneath there. Wow. So and then because we're removing because in the woods and all that there's the leaves and all that to, stuff to break yeah. that from the the pressure of that water falling. Right. So we're in yeah. agreement that using a cover crop is more. I mean, definitely something that we probably should be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And and like Jim was saying, more for the structure and the benefit of the soil, and that's the reason we're using them. That's yeah. right. You know. You know. And of course, there are some things that you can grow through the winter too. Seven top mm-hmm. turnips. I yep. mean, you can grow right through and have greens through most of the winter. It'll take snow on top of it and exactly. just be fine. And still just till them in at the end of the year. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying, but if you're not doing any kind of a fall or winter crop, and you're just doing most of that spring and summer, tomatoes, eggplant, squash, you know, those type of plants. And then late summer, we're yanking that stuff up. we got a clean bed sitting right there, nothing on the top of it. Now, I'm not saying you've got to go out there and put a cover crop on it until it end the next year, but I'm just thinking the benefits are greater if you do use a cover crop and if you just leave that ground just laying there. Yeah. You know, um, speaking of vegetable gardens, artemisia, that wormwood, mm-hmm. it has such a, a smell to it that it helps deter and repel varmints <clears throat> like rabbits. Yeah, deer. I don't like to get around it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's of the, the, the smell. smell. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a smell that just gets you like some pa- paper whites get some people? You're mm-hmm. just like, I can't do it. Yeah. But, um, oh, that means you're a varmint. Yes, I am. <laughs> We just got, we figured that out real quickly. But yeah, that's a good one to use because it's also evergreen too. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't like tons and tons of water. So wormwood or artemisia is the name of that. Uh, You can definitely find it in the spring and the summer, sometimes in the fall. (coughs) 
you can find it. But that's a good one to work in your vegetable gardens. Uh, just as a, as a repellent or, or repellent, or, yeah. Uh, I don't know of it counteracting any tastes of any vegetables if no, the roots cross. So it wouldn't. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, you know, because, I mean, there again, I mean, people love their vegetable gardens, and more and more people are growing vegetables in their backyard than they ever have, mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, with COVID, you know, those two years. I mean, it was a boom for backyard gardens. I mean, everybody wanted to get out of the house, do something outside, and, then you know, they surely didn't mind raising their own produce. Can you imagine the future in gardening if, okay, so we've got, you know, in the garden center we have tables and you've got, like barberry and distillium and all those to plant in your landscape. Well, then what if we're selling in one-gallon containers like tablespoons of uh, cabbage Mm -hmm. to plant in your landscape as a border, you know, instead of... Because so many people are switching over to vegetables and all. I mean, I don't think it's going to work like that. You know, seeds are are much easier, but we could. Like now we're selling blueberries as fall shrubs because of the fall color and and, uh, the fig trees for the figs, but also because some are dwarf or the really cool looking leaves. Yeah, and people, like I said, they grow figs a lot of times just as an ornamental tree. Mm -hmm. I've seen figs growing on the corner of houses, uh, you know, like the brown turkey and the celeste, the ones that get fairly big. But I've also seen the little Miss Figgy, like you talked about, growing in containers as an ornamental. Mm-hmm. And I've seen germander being used yeah. as a border herb. Or I, I like garden. to use uh, just leaf lettuce for a border. Yeah. You know, things like oak leaf, some mm-hmm. of the colored leaf, um, lettuces, they look, they're really pretty just used as a little border That's like true. monkey grass. And then that switches Harvest off of them all year. That, that bright light Swiss chard. Yes. Gorgeous. Look. Do you know, I don't know if I ever told you all this. I, I can't believe I saw this. It was like I was in a Jurassic <clears throat> Park world. But there was this lady's house that we were working at, and she had raised beds mm-hmm. about a couple of feet. And we planted two Swiss chards. Or no, we didn't. She had planted two Swiss chards, and they grew to be five feet tall. Never seen because them that big. all the, the, I mean, it was on an irrigate. I don't know how it happened because actually in the back were arborvita, but the arborvita hadn't been planted there a long time. But it seems like it would be so much water for the Swiss chard, <coughs> it seems like the arborvita would have rotted, you know, but it was just a season. But how did it get so big? Well, you got perfect soil, Five perfect feet. drainage. Can I mean, it get that? I mean, I know it was Swiss chard. You can't mistake it. It was the bright lights, which looks so pretty it is with pretty. the fall colors. Go, I mean, the fall colors, the sun shining through it. Took some pictures of it yesterday. It was pretty. Well, way. and Jim made the comment, you know, of even seeing lettuce sometimes grown as a border. Mm-hmm. You know, it just to me, it looks so alien when we're seeing something <laughs> out of place. Yeah. Uh, and to me, that looks so out of place, you know, when we start putting edibles in with our ornamental um, beds. And maybe, you know, we should just change our way of thinking from time yeah, to time. Yeah, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Well, we're getting different priorities in our gardening or in our, yeah, different priorities. Now it's more edibles, more things that we can eat versus just ornamentals because and we need, it's going to be much cheaper. And then, you know, I'm, 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 this is just a teaser for next week, but I was doing a little reading last night on some of the newer pest that we're finding here <laughs> newer in pest? yeah that no. we're finding here in Tennessee uh, and you know we'll talk about this next week and I haven't done enough research yet but there's the one that caught my eye more than anything was one called the kudzu bug <laughs> and I'm thinking oh finally we got a bug mm-hmm. that loves kudzu maybe it will just rid 
uh, you know, the Mississippi trees down there <laughs> are, are of kudzu. And, you know, that's not going to happen. It but mean? it might rid the farmers of, of soybeans. But it, it's, it's some of these new invasive uh, pests that they, they have already found a lot of these in Tennessee. They're sure finding a lot of these around the state of Tennessee. And we all know what that means. Mm-hmm. If it's in Mississippi, Louisiana, Carolinas, Kentucky, you know, mm-hmm. Arkansas, we're usually going to get it also. But uh, we'll talk about some of these, um, maybe some of these new threats when it comes to pests, which every one of these, are, of course, are, you know, not native insects. They're all imported insects. So I don't know. Uh, you know, it seems like every year there's there's something, you know, and for example, Japanese beetles. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't used to have to fight Japanese beetles like we do now, and even a couple myrtle, years yeah, ago. Yeah. Great myrtle bark scale. On and on. Okay, we're going to run to a break. We'll be right back after all these messages. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, on the Mighty 990 and 107.9 FM, KWAM. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So, you know, back in, before, I we would hear, oh, rob, robots are going to do this, robots are going to do that. Um, yeah, remember I was talking about the robo-mower right, the other day. Right, This is what was making me think. And then, so I'm envisioning... Like robot-looking people, you know, like like R two D two or or who's who's R two D two's friend? C three PO. C three PO. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. already. So I'm thinking of that, and I'm like, man, I don't ever want to get the world looking like that. But now robots are like the robot Robo lawnmower. Um, there, there's so many things that work without us having to work. The the so Robo I don't vacuum have cleaner. to worry about robot people things looking working in my garden because it's in a different way so we, so robot robots are coming into the gardening scene it's just to help us so much more than i was thinking well i mean like i said i mean robotics have been around forever you know and mm-hmm. y- you know on a personal gardening scale you know i was talking about the robo mower jim um you know the more you read about, you know, you put this perimeter wire down and that thing will stay in between, you know, that perimeter yeah. wire. I mean, it just goes back and forth and cuts your grass and, you know, doesn't make a lot of fuss and it never complains. And, you know, it just cuts the grass for you. Um, and, you know, I was telling you how I kind of have a sense of accomplishment when I'm cutting my grass. I love the way I don't mind cutting the grass most of the time, but some of the times I do. So I don't know if I'm one of the uh, candidate for it. I'm, you know, I don't know if I'd want one. Do right. I feel like I'm not it's, doing, you know, I'm, I'm I'm skirting on my responsibilities? I know. I know exactly what you, you mean. Know? And see, that's the thing about <laughs> anything is you have to make sure that you utilize it, not not to be lazy. But, but, but there are so many other things I could be doing because I never right. have enough time to get anything done. Right. Exactly. So there's so many times that that's going to be a benefit because it wouldn't have happened anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, uh, you know, we were talking about varmints earlier in the first hour. Talking oh, we were about talking how, about Jim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, varmints <laughs> in particular. Uh, you know, the deers, you know, antlers rubbing on the Japanese maples. Well, also, it seems like, of course, this time of year, one thing that we hear a lot of are raccoons in people's attics. Uh, 
and if you've ever, I've never experienced that, but years ago, my mother-in-law did. And she had this house on Shady Grove, trees everywhere. Uh, all the raccoons in the world, I think, mm-hmm. lived on Shady Grove at that time. And they, uh, of course, gnawed a little hole in the siding of the house and made the attic their home. Um, and, you know, you can always get professionals to come in there and, and trap and get the raccoons out of there. But it's it's one of those things. I, I was reading up on this last night, and there's this, uh, you know, we've always heard about getting a have a heart trap or getting coyote urine or, you know, leaving the bright lights on in the attic or playing some music up there. And all those things will help deter uh, a raccoon family from staying in your attic, you know, if, you, if you've got them in there. But I was reading, I was telling Jim, I was reading this stuff called raccoon eviction fluid. And I'm thinking, what in the heck is this? You know, uh, it's, it's a predator scent that uh, warns the mother that there's a boar male raccoon uh, in the area. And, of course, the boar male raccoons uh, will kill the raccoon kits to stay the dominant raccoon in the neighborhood. Kind of like the lions <laughs> do to the lion pride. There's always got to be a dominant. Yeah. There? And that, that's why we tell people not to move raccoons because the locals will hunt him down and kill him. And it's right. It's more benef- It's more humane for you to destroy him than to let him go. In fact, they say it's actually against the law, Jim, oh, to transport and move uh, raccoons like that. And, it, and this stuff has like a 75% success rate. So, But I'd never heard of raccoon eviction fluid, which mimics the scent of a boar raccoon. Uh, and they said, you know, tr- it, 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 75% success rate? You know, that sounds That's pretty good. darn good. good. Yeah. And then there was another product that they were talking about, which was a, uh, a peppermint oil. And we've all heard of people using peppermint oil as a repellent, whether it's outside, inside. In fact, there's a product called Mouse Magic, you know, which is a combination of peppermint and spearmint. Mouse Magic, you can buy these little packs. You can throw them up under your bed. You can throw them in your cabin. You can throw them in the Mm -hmm. old car that you're not driving right now to keep, you know, rats and mice out of there. But it's nothing more than peppermint and spearmint. Oh, isn't that crazy? I had a, it was like in the early, mid-90s that I had an uncle that worked at Texas A&M, and he worked on the project on uh, the peppermint oil. Right. But at this time, it was a peppermint oil and a few other oils <coughs> on a, I don't know what it was, but you plug it into the wall and it repels And it could be, you know, lemon, citronella, and like, what? spearmint, all those oils. But peppermint yeah. and spearmint in particular mm-hmm. really act really good as rodent repellents. Awesome. You know, and, and like I said, even under the name of mouse magic. And then, it, you know, the, the raccoon eviction fluid, you know, the makes me think of like also the shakeaway products, which is granulated urine, whether it's the coyote urine, the fox urine. In fact, there's one that's got both coyote and fox urine in it, Jim. And, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of people use those products uh, as repellents. But there's so many repellents out there, even the bonide repels all, you know. Um, that, you know, I, I guess if you're, if you do the research and you, and you try to figure out which repellent is the best, you know, mm-hmm. you can actually get rid of these things without having to trap them. Mm-hmm. Hey, that, the coyote urine and all of that, is that what it's, it's taken the properties and they've synthetically recreated it? I mean, how well, I guess there's this big place where coyotes go and urinate and then they 
<laughs> Get the big pin I, I've up tried it. to envision and, that in my mind. And, I, and, I have it just trouble. don't go any farther. <laughs> I know. Same here. I just stop. When I, I, I st- think they'll say 100% natural on them, it don't does. they? Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's granulated uh, urine from uh, some of these predators. And, of course, if they uh, smell the predator, if they think a predator's in the area, mm-hmm. whether it's a rabbit, a squirrel, raccoon, whatever, you know, they generally leave that area. And we sell tons of it during the growing season for mostly people to use outside. But, <laughs> um, outside, yeah. Right. yeah, and, you know, and yes, I mean, it has a slight odor to us, especially the first day you put it out. But after that, we don't really smell it, but the critters out there can. But the, the peppermint and the spearmint in particular, especially for, for some of these smaller rodents, uh, you know, whether it's mice and rats and so forth, um, you know, it doesn't. It has a very pleasant smell, if you will, mm. but it's still doing the job as a as a nice repellent. And it, like I said, it made me think of that product that we sell called Mouse Magic that comes in the packs. Oh. It's nothing more yeah. than spearmint and peppermint. So I do remember when that first came out, and you were telling me the ingredients. <laughs> yeah. Thinking, so, okay. guys, I mean, there again, you know, I know there's, uh, you know, I don't mind so much the varmints being outside. I can almost manage that. But it's when the varmints manage to get inside our house, and, you know, then it's even more problematic. Yeah, I had raccoons rip holes in my roof a number of times. Uh, see, there you go. Yeah, they, um, in fact, when I bought the house, there was, a, on the outside of the top, there was wire across it. And I was standing there with my neighbor one day. I said, I wonder what our wire's up there. And the guy said, well, he had a heck of a time with raccoons getting in there. Well, you know, what happens is once a female gets in there and she urinates yeah. in that area, they're all attracted to that again. Uh, any of her offspring will crazy. recognize that and they'll try to return to that area. So and, and pretty much until you clear all of her ancestors, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're going to have an issue. Yeah. Uh, so you need to clean your attic really good, use things to eliminate the smells. Because this is, this is the time all of our critters are trying to hibernate somewhere. And that's why I was bringing this up, because yeah. they're trying to get into the houses now. And like mm-hmm. squirrels, they'll run across your tree limbs and jump on the roof, and mm-hmm. there you go. Hey, I saw, we Okay, so like at, at Palladio, there's a lot of times that we get antiques or old things in, and this was a bird feeder that was made out of copper and... Um, real thick and it had plexiglass in front mm. of the feeder parts for the birds and that was really thick mm. so we were taking apart and we took the top off because yeah. it's one you take the top off and then you can run it down the pole you can see where a squirrel had just devoured oh, and yeah. eaten and pulled and eaten and pulled on that plexiglass to get into mm-hmm. the bird seed i mean that's some intense teeth on a squirrel. Because you know, it had to be a squirrel <coughs> because the space, you couldn't get in unless you were a squirrel. And, you know, they're like a beaver. You know, they're always gnawing on something to keep their teeth really sharp. You know, so don't think a squirrel can't gnaw through the siding of your home to get inside that nice, warm, fuzzy attic. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, and raccoons, they, you know, they're almost just the opposite. They're not using their teeth so much. They're using their little smart little hands, like human hands. Yeah. You know, to get in there and pull boards back and screens <laughs> and walk through vents. I mean, okay, it's amazing. So cute mm-hmm. It's amazing too. how, you know, all of us don't have varmints in our attic, to yeah. be quite honest with oh, you. Right, yeah, I don't right. think I could get on my roof and pull shingles and wood off to get inside. <laughs> right. But they know, can. But they right. can. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they go right through there. Oh, that's amazing. All right, let's go to a break. 
if y'all want to um, give us some questions, 260-5926. But you know we get tons of questions on our Facebook page and at work, so we can tell you about lots of stuff from questions that we get. And we'll do that when we get back. Good morning and welcome back. We got a, this gives me Christmas spirit. What does? Me? Jim? Yes. Oh, the oh, music. This, this music. Ah. Oh, oh, I oh. wish I could play that on the piano. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, I've got two exotic houseplants in this week, and I can't say the name of them because they don't really have a common name yet. So the exotic plant has an exotic name yeah. is what you're saying. Now, there is one called Black Gold. That one did have a, a common name. Jim, you can probably say that. Same, I had to take pictures of the here. tags. Yeah, but and they're cool. This is one that gets big leaves. I love it. Now, is this and a new plant that you haven't ha- ever had before? Right, right. There's but this is not a new plant, though, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's it looks a new like Melanocrisum. Melanocrisum. Okay, that so would be close. Melanocrisum. That's the black gold. Y'all look at black gold. And then here's the other one. That's funny. No, there's three. I didn't get that so one So these yet. are probably tissue cultures that... I don't even know. Because a lot there's of the so new many. plants... That's squamiferum. Okay, squamiferum. Okay, this is yeah. the one I like to say. Here we go. I knew that one. Hendri- I think that's Hendriki. Oh, you knew that one? I knew that one. A lot of these newer exotics that we're seeing... Hendriki eye. Hendriki eyes. Uh, yeah, so y'all got to look these up because they're cool looking. They're more blue. They've got different veins, so their leaves will get bigger. I mean, what are they looking like? Uh, like do they look like a philodendron? Yeah, they, yeah they are actually. Mm. Two's in the philodendron family, the squamifermium. Okay. Squamiferum. Squamiferum. That made me think maybe it's the... the I don't think that's a philodendron. Could it be. could be, though, actually, when I yeah. look at it like that. And, I mean, you would never think these are philodendrons. Well, but that's my point. A lot of these new exotics, even, you know, I talked about one a couple months ago, mm-hmm. like the uh, the princess philodendron, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. They, uh, you know, what makes them so unique is they, they're only grown as a tissue culture. And not every one of them come out to be what they want them mm-hmm. to be. Uh, yeah, and, that's you true. You know, I mean, yeah. out of 100, you might get three plants that have that variegation for example in the foliage okay out of a hundred mm-hmm. and that's why you know they yeah, usually cost true. more yeah well i bet you a lot of these new exotics that you're talking about here and i'm not mm-hmm. saying because i don't know anything about them at all yet you know they're probably tissue cultures of plants that we already right. have instead of just a plant that we find whoops yeah you know, along the path in the <laughs> in the in the you know in nature mm-hmm. Well, we've got, I've, I had them, all our exotics get placed closer to the register because that's where you're going to frequently. That's the new introduction, Yeah, you know? and that's where you're going to frequently take care of them and see them mm-hmm. constantly because I'm like, this four-inch plant can be $80. Right. I don't want this thing just to die overnight. Right, I don't want y'all to lose it over there with the four-inch ferns. Yeah, or the that, spider plant. Or the you, spot, know. you know, the easier ones to take care of. Right. I don't want those getting lost in, in that one in terms of the care um, because... Since these are new and exotic, in the first place, you have to learn the care a little bit more. So I don't want it in with the easy care plants. Your philodendron squamiferum, do you remember what you're retailing it for? Um, that one, I think, is like 80, maybe, okay. 85, something like that. In what size pot? Four-inch round. Four-inch yeah. round. But it does have some long tendrils on it. And, and think about this, y'all. We're talking about houseplants where... 
years ago, houseplants would never even be a topic. Okay, yeah, it just wouldn't. I mean, you would. Everybody had a few houseplants, you know, whether it's a dumb cane or, you know, a, you know, a, a spider plant. Yeah. But now there's so many different varieties of houseplants, and I'm telling you, the generation that we have now coming up. They love their houseplants. Mm-hmm. And like I was even saying last week or week before last, what a lot of people are doing now with the houseplants is they're, remember, it was going to be one of the gardening trends for next year. Yeah. That's was right. trying to find houseplants that are completely unique. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, houseplants that no one else has around them. And uh, people are collecting houseplants now, not just your old-fashioned houseplants that we grew up with, a lot of these new exotics like you're talking about, Veda. Yeah. And that's, that trend is going to continue because they're, they're already saying that's going to be one of the biggest trends in 2023. Right. Yeah, because I'm searching constantly trying to, to find different because now there's things like we were saying that our grocery store plants, I mean, almost poinsettias and mums and spaths and uh, crotons and all those that we used to just sell, 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 sell. Oh, yeah. Now, Still do, you know, but people get fresh market, um, all those places you can just grab them along the way. So we're trying to get things that don't go to the grocery store. Yes. But, but who would mm-hmm. think, though, that houseplants would be such... Nobody. No, Lord, no. And in, in the last three years, it seems like mm. that I could see anyway. And like I said, people have always purchased house plants. Yeah. But in the last three years, Jim, even you know, but mostly also starting a COVID, uh, people wanted to bring a lot of that green fauna inside their house. Mm-hmm. And now it's become you know they're wanting to buy exotics that no one else has. Uh, so I mean, I, I love it. I mean, because I love houseplants myself, and I wouldn't have a home or a room, I don't think, without some houseplant in there. But there are Mm -hmm. so many new houseplants on the market now that it's almost mind-boggling is my point. Well, see, we're collecting pretty bottles to put um, cuttings in. We're collecting pretty ornamental things that are made to hold air plants. Mm -hmm. You know, you can use air plants as funky looking hair on this face pot that you Mm -hmm. bought because all you have to do is just spray the the air plants, keep them Yeah, it needs no, the air plant is not one that you put in soil. Yeah. You know, it's just a plant that's just out. Right. You can lay it on a table and it will grow. People that take copper wire and and bend it and braid it and put beads in Mm -hmm. it and make it enough strong enough to stand up and have some prongs on top to just set your air plant that's in pretty there. cool there's different kinds of ways people are decorating there's bathroom plants there's bookshelf plants there's low light highlight you know all climbing just all this stuff it's now they're they're more the, the kids are coming in looking for indoor plants they don't call them house plants yeah. now they call them indoor plants and of course they're still shocked to find out that these can grow outside too in the shade not through the winter but you know, a lot of them think that they're just basically live indoors. And, and we've, you know, talked about this till we're blue in the face. You know, I mean, most house plants, you know, we always err on the side, it seems like, of overwatering. Or, and then the flip side is, you know, you bring them inside, you water them the first time, and then you don't water them again. You don't even look at them till they're dead. You yeah. know, so watering is, the, is a big thing when it comes to our house plants. And the people that are really into it, they know, you know, what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... You know, novice people that, you know, want to go out and just buy a houseplant, bring it inside. Uh, a lot of times we kill our houseplants with tender love and care. We just keep the things way too wet. So if you've got houseplants in, indoors, 
you know, the main three things this time of year is you want to keep these things moist but not wet. I mean, that's the biggest thing, good drainage. Secondly, you want to keep them warm, typically in a warm environment, usually in our house. You know, it's going to be warm enough to grow a houseplant. And then the third thing is the amount of light. You know, most houseplants just need a decent amount of light. I'm not saying it has to be by a window at all. It could be in the corner of a room that just gets good light. But if you give it the right light, you give it the right moisture, and if you surely keep it at the right temperature, you're going to be so successful growing these houseplants. And those are really the top three things I would always think about. Well, the things that are really great right now people are using, lemon cypress. A lot of people are doing the lemon cypress uh, because they're kind of a Christmas tree form, but they seem to just fall right into your whole decorating theme. They go outside really well. Um, I remember Randy Moskowitz had two, but they were up against a wall in a protected environment, and they Mm -hmm. lived a number of years in a container. But a lot of people just kind of use them for the the fun of it. Cyclamen. Mm -hmm. Cyclamen are a good one we go with now. Beautiful. I've got a couple planted outside Mm -hmm. in containers. But if we're getting a long, hard freeze, I'm going to bring them up close to the house or indoors. Actually, one of them, it's still in its six-inch pot, but I set it down in the container where Mm -hmm. it looks like it's planted. Mm -hmm. But when we get this long, hard freeze, I'm just going to take it inside. Also, like the uh, English ivy that are Christmas tree form Mm -hmm. or the topiary form English ivies are good ones and the little mini poinsettias the mini poinsettias are still adorable mm-hmm. I got to go with that and now all these cool looking saginella mosses the um, frosty fern moss so many things that we can create beautiful different color textures of houseplants I have to agree and we'll be back for our third hour 260 The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Garden. We're starting on our third hour. You can always talk about gardening. That's one thing that most, that's one language most people can talk about anywhere it's like you know grown something you're right i'm at you know of course dan west garden centers and we're you know just still neck deep in christmas Mm -hmm. you know christmas trees and poinsettias and everything christmas related yeah and it's just refreshing when somebody Mm -hmm. comes in and says hey can i get a bag of potting soil i'm like oh yes where have you been you know all day (laughs) i know somebody says i i know i don't want poinsettias and amaryllis bulbs and paper whites i'm landscaping i'm like yes (laughs) let's head out there because, you know, there's so many fall color beautiful things now, like the barberries. How many new barberries? Oh, are? yeah. This is a thing that I'm glad there's new of is barberries. And, Lee, hang on just a second. Uh, from Collierville, we got a, a question from Lee. But uh, if you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926. 260-5926. And, of course, go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page, and you can shoot us a text and ask a question there. And then, like we always say, you can always go to kwmradio.com, streaming live all the time, and listen to podcasts anytime you want. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's go to Lee from Collierville. Good morning, Lee. Thanks for the call. How can we help you today? Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Um, I have been wanting to call in, and I just haven't had a chance, but I have Green Mountain Boxwood Shrubs, mm-hmm. and they are in the, the beds 
the entire front of our home. And I know that they must have been here at least seven years because we moved here in 2016. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe they were maybe planted in 2015. And for years, they looked beautiful, a deep green color. And then last year, I noticed, and I don't remember if it was after the winter months, I can't remember, but they started to lose that deep green color. Mm -hmm. It was a slow thing at first, and it was only a few of the shrubs that were affected. And actually, some of the leaves almost were like a a burnt orange color Mm -hmm. or like a reddish color. Mm -hmm. And now they are... um, some of them are shedding their leaves. They're, they're like a, a tan color, a little dry-looking tan. But for the most part, they're still green, but just a really um, muted shade of green. And that's that's really all that I can explain. Yeah. Well, that's some good excellent or uh, good explaining there. Thank you. Man, it does sound like a soil issue. One of the things I would check to see if there's any mulch that has accumulated or leaves in the crotch of the plant. Make sure the mulch is not mm-hmm. touching the trunk at all. Boxwoods get a, uh, a disease that usually starts in the crotch there, and if you pull the stuff out, you may even see little pink pustules down in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to take a good fungicide to spray on them. Uh, they usually will recover. Now, what you'll be able to tell next spring when the new growth pops, if it's mm-hmm. bright green again, then it's not fungal. It is actually a soil issue that we're going to need to address. And the first thing I do is is take a sample by your local garden center and have it have the pH check. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead and do that. Because yeah. you, you will, if that you will new get growth pH around where uh, oh. for boxwood six and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay, needs to be up. Okay. Yeah, if if that foliage comes out and is still discolored, then we need to think about spraying a fung- fungicide in there. Uh, and okay. you'll just clean that stuff out, get everything, take your blower, get everything out of there, spray the whole plant with a fungicide, but focus on the, that crotch area from about 8 to 10 inches down. All right? Okay. And I would just go to the local uh, garden center, and they would be able to recommend what kind of fungicide to get if that's... Yes, l- look for one that's got uh, propiconazole. Uh, Which is it's actually one called uh, Fertilome Liquid Systemic Fungicide. Right. That That's a good okay, one. Okay, we have that. We used it on crepe myrtles when they had a black. Okay. Yeah. yeah. soot looking all over that. Okay. okay. Yeah. Right. Just use that. It probably will take two or three applications. If Since we've got another week or so of decent weather, I'd go ahead and spray it now, clean that stuff out. Uh, and, and like I say, you can get your mulch up to an inch away from the trunk. But don't let it touch it. They're real susceptible to that bark becoming soggy in there, and that just is perfect conditions for the fungus for the fungus to take hold. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Uh, hey, Thank thanks you. for calling this morning. Thanks, Lee. And yeah. also, and you know, Jim mentioned the pH. Mm-hmm. I mean, pH is a big deal when it comes to boxwoods. They oh, want that pH yes. up, and that's why a lot of people will put a little lime around their boxwoods really almost every year. Mm-hmm. Okay, so make sure the pH is up. Secondly, you know, let's think about, and I know this didn't happen just this year for Lee. It's been going on for quite a while. She said these were planted back in 2015. Um, Is, you know, we had a very tough growing season this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was really, really wet, wet, wet last winter and spring and really extremely dry and hot this summer. So we hope that it was getting adequate moisture that it needed. That's what I was thinking, too. There's a possibility it was too wet. 
And then it went too dry. Absolutely. And then that can lead to spider mites, some other issues. And, and Jim, asked, I had written down mites. In fact, you know. I, I wanted to tell her when you go to your, if you go to your local garden center, take a sample of foliage by and let right. them take a look mm-hmm. at it. Because we are seeing some boxwood ne- leaf nematodes here. Yeah. Uh, there's some other issues it could be. So if you'll take a, just, you know, at your convenience, take a piece by one of your, the garden center and let them take a look at it. And uh, it, sometimes it'll just jump out to them what the problem is. Yeah. Right. And, and mites can also cause that discoloration right but i mean just overall what i would think about doing is like you said jim check the mulch uh it's never going to hurt to spray a fungicide into where the whole boxwood especially into the crotch of that boxwood especially if you've had debris in there like you're talking Mm -hmm. about but uh come you know early march mid-march i'd definitely go out there i'd put some lime around it i'd put a heavy dose of milorganite around it you might sprinkle just a little Epsom salts mm-hmm. around it, which is the magnesium sulfate. With you know that helps mm-hmm. encourage green chlorophyll production. You can um, use the plant tone. It's it's all around. It's got everything in it for boxwood. It does check your. I mean, after 2015, maybe your soil's becoming compacted again, or the uh, it's changed. The soil levels change. Maybe too deep. If the mulch has decomposed mm-hmm. year after yeah. year after year. You end up with what looks like black soil, but it's really not. It's just kind of mulch yeah, dust. That's true. Yeah, mulch <laughs> you know? dust. Yeah, that's and, a good way. And to... it inhibits air movement through there. And boxwoods are very shallow rooted plants. You know, on all plants like that, when you feel that need to mulch, rake everything out. Save that. Use yeah. it. Put it in your compost <laughs> right, box. Good right. stuff. But then put coarse mulch back on it so that air can move through that. That's right. The air movement is so critical mm-hmm. in not only needing the air, but also helping the water move yeah. through the oh, soil. You think, because remember, I, was gonna, I had this bright idea, and I've talked about this just forever, is last year I used soil conditioner mm-hmm. as my mulch. And, and soil, I think I, I raised the fact that, are you not worried about that washing Yeah, away? I know, Jim. But also, <laughs> also I mean, because soil conditioner is nothing more than really fine ground up pine bark. And I'm thinking this would be, it, it would look really soft, easy to spread. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's beautiful. You know? yes, but I'm it telling is. you, it, because it's so small, the particles are, Water does not penetrate that mm-hmm. like a bigger piece of mulch, like Jim was just talking about, like a, a regular pine bark or hardwood. It forms, it, it, it acts as an umbrella. I'm telling you, you cannot penetrate that stuff with water. And then every time you get a big rain, you know, you're losing half of it mm-hmm. anyway down the driveway, the sidewalk, the yard. So, you know, I've, I've said this a hundred times, I'm going to say it 101 times, is don't use, in my opinion, soil conditioner as a top dressing. It's great to amend the soil, to work it into the soil, but you're crazy as I am if you use it as a top dressing. Right. It just shredded mulch mats together so well. You know, and in fact, you know, I like to use cypress. Uh, and cypress actually gets a fungus growing in it that mats it together. I mean, you have to break that up periodically, or like you said, mm-hmm. I mean, you can pick up big chunks of it, like, you know, mm-hmm. 20 inches wide, where yes. that fungus <laughs> has just grown yeah. all in there. Right. Uh, and that, it, it will mm-hmm. really stop uh, water movement mm-hmm. through it. In fact, that's, what, that's one of the big issues with a lot yeah. of soil fungi is it produces such a massive amount of mycelium mm-hmm. underground, sure. and, you, and you can't see that. That water can't penetrate it. Yeah. It'll hit the top and then run off distances mm-hmm. away. So that can really affect how much plant, how much water. I would say in. we've probably had just as much mm-hmm. loss because of the way and the type of mulch we've started to apply. People's ask which mulch is the best, and and back, uh, you know, years and years ago. It was like any that you want to use is great. Yeah. But now we're learning that it needs to be chunkier. 
instead yeah. of where it can mat together. Because like the, the painted brown mulch mm-hmm. does that, just mats together. Mm-hmm. You can just pick up a shelf full of it. And some of the double hammered hardwood that will do the same thing. Real. But also real quick, you know, Lee, you know, those green mountain boxwoods, which I love because they grow more upright as a pyramid, natural shape, and they're beautiful boxwoods. But overall on these boxwoods, Remember that the pH needs to be around six and a half. And that's really important because you can have everything else just right. If that pH is down, which usually it is, uh, adding that lime will raise that pH. But just the pH can cause discoloration like that. Mm-hmm. Bring a sample into the garden center because we also see natural bronzing this time yeah, of year. That, that's yeah, right. And that's yeah. why I say if it greens out in the spring, it's just winter bronzing. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's run to a break. And you can call us 260 Two six or post question on Facebook Live. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. So I found my notes, Jim, from a year a year ago, December eleventh, twenty twenty one. And I remember I was so proud because I had a big word and you were like, wow. <laughs> right? <laughs> but I still didn't quite say it right. It was uh, uh, anthropogenic. Anthropogenic. That sounds good to me. Yeah, which meant uh, chiefly of environmental pollution and pollutants originating in human activity. Um, so this new word, athro- anthropogenic, means human activity that causes pollution. Do you remember, I was looking at my notes from last year. I thought, hey, you know what? And December 11th, that was one of our topics we talked about was anthropogenic, how humans help add to the pollution. In a a major kind of way. But they they had to have a word for it. Why can't we just, you know. And then the other, one of the other things we talked about was about a uh, man that gardened. He really didn't like it that much. I mean, he really wasn't gardening. He was just pruning the hedges and mowing the Mm -hmm. lawn and keeping it kind of sterile. And then his daughter, as she grew up, she didn't uh, believe in that or didn't want to do that kind of landscaping. So she started introducing in her garden, like doing more four seasons type Mm -hmm. and planting for special things, edibles, hummingbirds, beneficials and all Mm -hmm. of that. And he was just like, whatever. And as she kept doing it, he all of a sudden got really involved and learned that gardening was so much more than keeping your lawn mowed and your shrubs pruned in balls. So, you know, that was one of the things that we had talked about a year ago. That's well, And it's still true today, of and, course. Yes. And this year, one of my things is, I think I found the tree. The tree. I mean, the, there's your all... Your favorite tree. My favorite tree. Seems like it can take care of a lot of... It's the coral bark maple. Great fall color. Good fall interest, um, or winter interest because of the the stems and all it's not a humongous tree oh, at all it's no. only like 15 feet wide it can get 20 feet tall but if it's not as wide and covering your whole yard uh so i'm liking that tree for a lot of different situations in your garden well i mean to me all of the japanese maples have their attributes they're mm-hmm. all beautiful in some way right? and this one the coral bark can grow in full sun but probably doesn't mind some tads of shade. Yeah, you're still going to get a little burn on that foliage if you grow it in full sun, which like it's true on most Japanese maples. You know, come summertime, the edge of that leaf is going to burn. But the bigger they get, you know, the outside leaves are kind of shading the interior. Yeah. So it's, I mean, yeah, I don't think that you can't grow one in full sun. I surely like to give it some relief from that hot mm-hmm. afternoon sun. 
But like you said, Veda, it does have beautiful fall color, but when the leaves fall off of a coral bark maple and the nights start getting cooler, and of course the days are getting cooler, then the stems themselves start turning red. So, and I, I used to have one at my old house, Jim, and you might have seen it before. I would put Christmas lights on this coral bark maple. Yeah. And at night, you know, you had the Christmas lights that were on, but you had this red illumination nice. coming from the tree itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I have to agree with you. It's a great looking Japanese maple. And the blood good, too, that can grow in full sun. Yeah, a lot, most all Japanese maples, other than the, like, butterfly that has the white and pink variegation, oh, yeah. most all of them can grow in full sun. Can grow. I but say. the more sun they get, the more sunburn, mm-hmm. uh, sun scald you're going to get on the foliage. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's just because they would prefer to be in St. Louis. Yeah. In Norfolk. Right. Yep, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right, but right. they will grow here. Yeah, because that would be pretty intense on a coral bark if that was the only tree you planted in your entire yard. Mm-hmm. That would definitely be some, some sun scorching going on. So I'm liking the coral bark a lot, but then I still, I, then I'm going with the fringe tree. I like that too. Fringe tree, is that bigger than a coral bark? I uh, think it would be. It could be ultimately, yes. Uh, I mean, and, and yeah. the fringe trees are beautiful. It's, it's really one of these overlooked trees are underplanted trees. It has that beautiful white bloom in the summer. It's not a massive tree mm-hmm. by any means. You yeah. know, it's, it gets, what, 15 foot tall and 15, mm-hmm. 12 foot wide. Uh, but it's the, it's the summer bloom that are so beautiful on them. So it's, it's, it's to me, it's still an ornamental type yeah. tree. Um, and then I had somebody coming in looking for trees, and they were really frustrated and couldn't understand why the ginkgo leaf was like that and that it's probably got an issue. Because the ginkgo relief looks like that. What do you mean? Looks like it's the not unusual like a, shape. Yeah. The oh, yeah, of course. Shape. Yeah. And like that's. What do they call it cuneiform or something? Oh, uh, fishtail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a better word. <laughs> Fan, even. But I mean, they're so pretty. Everybody, I mean, you've got ginkgo fossils and you've got ginkgo plates, you know. That yeah, the one time the leaf. ginkgos actually grew here. Well, but you can still grow ginkgos. No, here. I mean at one time they were native. Oh, here. okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. But you got to go back a few million years. Yeah, right. which which is not too. Yeah, too we long do find ago. fossils right. of them here in this area. But a ginkgo, uh, if there, and we've said this a thousand times, if you've never seen, you know, a yellow buttercup-looking foliage from a ginkgo tree in the mm-hmm. fall, you haven't seen anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the purest yellow leaf that you'll ever find in the fall, and that's coming yeah. from these ginkgos. Now they're fairly slow growing. Uh, which is an attribute to a lot of people. But a lot, sometimes you don't want a really fast-growing yeah, I mean, tree. You know, for a shade tree, you're 25 years away from shade. Yes, you are. You know, it grows like a stick figure. You know? Yeah. Just like me, it grew up, and then it grew out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, but it doesn't create any shade for until you're 20 or 25. But it's a beautiful now, there, tree. There are a few new hybrids that twig up a little earlier, mm-hmm. but still, they're not. Uh, they're more for for color. Yeah, uh, and just that phenomenal fall color and, and, than they are for shade. And I still like, you know, just a, not the Japanese maples. I'm, I mean, I love all of those, but also just your regular yeah, maples. October glory. You know, and yeah. the red oh, sunset yeah. and the blaze and blaze improved. Yeah. I mean, all of those maples, and the reason I love them so much is they are actually fast-growing trees. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to take you forever to get a decent-looking sized tree. And then, of course, the fall color on these maples. I mean, I don't know of any maple that doesn't have, well, maybe a silver maple. I'd stay away from it. Yeah. I would. 
but you know, other than a other than a silver maple, mm-hmm. uh, and you can never go wrong with with maples. No. There's just not a bad thing to say about them. Which is the weeping red bud? I like that. That that can be a orna- uh, small ornamental, obviously. The weeping pussy willow is so pretty right now. I'm liking that. That's a good gift. That one and the weeping red bud. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's another one? I My favorite weeper the- is the red jade crabapple. Yeah, Ooh, I bet it, that is pretty. It's gorgeous. It has beautiful white flowers. It has a tiny little crabapple on it, and it's red. And you know, mm-hmm. and so you've got some got some interest all the way through the summer. Yeah, uh, with those, and it's just stunning when it's in. Bloom. I don't see that available. Well, I don't buy from a big tree person farm. You, uh, you might find those at Greenleaf from mm-hmm. time to time. But uh, you know, I wonder yeah. why the crabapples are are just underplanted there again. I mean, because you know, it seems like years ago, maybe twenty years ago, you'd see a lot more mm-hmm. crabapples out there than you do now. Yeah, I mean, they're great pollinators for apple trees yeah. if you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, um, I, I guess, primarily because they get some leaf spot diseases, yeah. you know, they are fruit trees, so yeah. they require some maintenance <laughs> yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're, uh, to me, crab apples are just stunning. There's some, you know, purple leaf varieties. Mm-hmm. They're a lot less uh-huh. trouble than purple leaf plums. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so they're, uh, there's some good ones. And I see the most beautiful purple leaf plums planted in, in areas oh, yeah. that, that I know gets no care. But they're working. Mm-hmm. But then there's other places where you're like, oh, why? And then, of course, the oak trees. I mean, yes, Memphis mm-hmm. is, and Shelby County as a whole, is full of oak trees. But if you think about it, oak trees are really great trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they they actually grow a lot faster than we think they do. You know, they're not going to yeah. get to be, you know, 80 foot tall and 60 foot wide overnight. Right. I was going to say, a lot of people think that because there's upright oaks, they're not all going to oh, be yeah. 60 feet wide. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite is a very narrow one called the, the English upright oak. Mm-hmm. has a rounded leaf like a white oak. Uh, mm-hmm. Very, I mean, Polymer. like a telephone pole mm-hmm. straight up. Just remarkable, and and, and see, and there, there again to me, that's one of a underplanted yeah tree. You, a lot of times you see them, Jim, growing on commercial sites, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but uh, I mean, those vertical type trees, mm-hmm. uh, I love the the look of that. Yeah, you know? a lot of people don't plant trees; they don't think their yard's big enough. But but majority of the yards are. I mean, even zero lot lines, you can get a tree on there, at yeah. least one. And this is tree planting time, yeah. y'all, if and you want to. So many um, cities and counties now are, are gearing those regulations towards those columnar trees um, mm-hmm. because you know, they, they're finally realizing that if you're going to put one in, you know, what they call the hell strip between yeah. the street and the drive, <laughs> yeah. the walkway, yeah. yeah. Um, it's under a power line. Yes, it you is. Know, which I got to go back and cut, you know. So. Or you got to have somebody come in there and cut it for you, like MLG and W, and they're going to hack that thing to yeah. death. Right. So, you know, the, they're finally learning not to plant things that interfere like that. Well, like so. Playhouse on the Square, or is that the one, or that new place they built down there? There's the um, horn beam. Because yeah. the, that horn bean that's thin. And then there's the, uh, isn't there a liquid lumbar? That's The black gum? Yeah. No, the sweet gum. The sweet, sweet gum. gum. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's uh, polymer. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's that. And then the, I think it's the oak tree you talked about you like. Yeah, the English I see oak. those. So I'm seeing those a lot planted in the Midtown area, which is fantastic. And we'll be right back after this break.
Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, on the Mighty 990 and 107.9 FM, KWAM. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. If you want to All give right. us a call this morning, 260-5926, 260-5926. And, of course, you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening, and uh, during the week, if you have any questions, you can always uh, go to Jim's um, Facebook page, Jim. Mid-South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. It's a great, great Facebook page. Yeah. You know, a lot of people worry because their azaleas get yellow at this time of year. Particularly they, the white ones. Yeah. And the pink ones. <laughs> They're so pretty. I lo- I'm loving the fall color on the azaleas they right now. I had somebody bring a sample in the other mm-hmm. day, and it wasn't just yellow leaves. Every leaf on the whole stem uh-huh. Uh, this azalea was yellow, yeah. except for the very cluster of leaves at the top of the limb, at the right. tip of the limb. Those were still green around the bud formation. And that's what I told this gentleman. I said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with these azaleas. Some years mm-hmm. we see it more than others. And this year, man, we're seeing a lot of yellow leaves and a lot of leaf drop in azaleas. Even though they're evergreens, evergreens yeah. still shed, some years more than others. Right. But, but I, I like that fall <laughs> color. So that's a good, this is such a good year for fall color, and I was thinking it wasn't going to be. Yeah, but I mean, but now a lot of, a lot of this, though, on the azaleas could be from, you know, stress, the the growing season that we had. Which made pretty fall color. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. But we were talking about trees a while ago, Veda. Uh, You know, a good time of year to to prune trees is late fall through early spring. And the reasons, you know, you have less stress on the tree, of course. Uh, The wounds, they say, will heal better. Uh, the pest and diseases aren't as uh, active, of course, this time of year. Uh, and during the dormant season, you know, you also had the absence of the leaves. So you can see in the tree and see what needs to be pruned out. Mm-hmm. True, so, yeah. you know, we get questions all the time, you know, when's the best time to prune, you know, my trees. And you see people pruning trees year round. I mean, you all, you do. But the optimal time to get in there, of course, is now. Mm-hmm. You know, don't think you can't get in there or have someone come in there and prune your trees this time of year. In fact, they say it's really the best time of year to do it. So prune trees now. Yeah, and, and, and mm-hmm. if you do it yourself, even if you're cutting off some of these big limbs uh, carefully, right, the right way, you know, the first thing the homeowner wants to do is grab a can of paint and paint over that wound. Uh, you know, and that's what we did for years, and we did it many years. But years ago, people started getting smart, doing the research. In fact, arborists tell you now, uh, you know, just leave the pruning sealer alone when it comes to cutting the the limbs, even small limbs on these on these trees. You you don't need mm-hmm. it; it's going to callus over just fine. Yeah, and don't prune your limbs like flush. Oh, with no. That's why yeah. I said doing it the right way. Right, yeah. So don't prune flush. <clears throat> to the trunk of the tree. Yeah. What's the angle you want to do on where the water can just run off of the prune instead of having it? What What am I doing, y'all? What's that mean? Inverted and inverted. I mean, you, you want yeah. the, you know, you want to cut your tree limbs at a slight angle, mm-hmm. whether yeah. it's a top angle or bottom angle. You, you're right. And, and if you, you're cutting a very long limb, very long limb, don't go to the trunk of the tree and cut it off there. You need to get some of the weight off the limb at the end. Otherwise, you'll just, that, that weight of that just limb. Just rip it down cutting, the trunk. Yeah. 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 Always make your first cut from the bottom side of the limb about three or four inches away from the trunk. 
that way if it falls you know it starts to rip down it will come off there instead of ripping the, the bark off the trunk of the tree. and, and yeah. let me say this also especially on oak trees and that's typically because we see so many around here if you're driving down the street you can really tell trees in a landscape that have been properly taken care of and yeah. properly pruned i mean usually the limbs are pruned up you're getting sufficient light down to the grass below it it's not just this big mass of growth, hedge-looking growth in the top of a tree. Um, and then you can see other trees that have never, ever been pruned. I'm mm-hmm. not saying, I mean, you know, whatever is fine with the homeowner, you know, it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying there is a big difference in the appearance. And I guarantee you also in the longevity and the health overall of a tree right. that has been properly pruned and one that hasn't. Well, because Mother Nature does its own pruning, but then that's not convenient for our houses or for us underneath. So that's why we need to help it out a little bit and, and, and have somebody. I mean, you should, when you get a younger tree or plant a tree, you should be doing some pruning practices as it grows bigger and bigger. That way you may not have to pay an arborist a lot of money to get up in the tree and work on it well, as if, much. And if you have any questions on whether you think you need, you know, before a limb does fall on your house or the car or, some, or the fence or whatever, head, yeah. you know, you, you can have these, uh, these arborists come by and they'll assess the tree and they'll let you know whether it needs to get in there and, and, and there's some pruning that mm-hmm. needs to be done. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to make the point that, you know, this really still is a great time of year to get that yeah. work done. You know, I uh, raised out in the country, running in the woods all the time, you know, doing, being out in nature all the time. Never, never, never had a tree limb fall mm-hmm. on me. Even a little mm-hmm. one, you know, got hit in the head with no, not, none of that until. Oh, we've got to look for another explanation. Here. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not it. <laughs> that is not it. I think it's hanging out with you two. But you were saying but until. <laughs> until I decided to use a tablet. Um, that were yeah, tablet, iPad mm-hmm. to go out and, and do my design with, mm-hmm. and yes, the limb fell out <laughs> right on the tablet. Wow, smushed oh. it on the ground. Oh my god! Just never until right then. But am I holding no, and the and tablet? Of was it's a, not, a, it. not a major limb, a small yeah, limb. But yeah. if it clunked you on the shoulder or the head, it still would have hurt. hurt. But the thing is, is mm. it's never fallen until I had a nice, expensive, brand new tablet mm. in my hand. Good Lord, of course. No insurance Murphy's for trees law. falling out, of, limbs <laughs> falling out of the tree. So, so yeah, so pruning, pruning is good. Yeah, pruning is good, but just leave the pruning sealer alone. And that, if you're not, well, first of all, you need to know what you're doing, and which most people, most of us, don't when it comes to pruning trees. So I would leave a lot of these, especially some of these bigger trees, up to the professionals. They know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. You know, they're, and they can climb up there, I'm telling you, like monkeys. I've seen it, and it's <laughs> great. I'm, and I mean that as a compliment. Yeah. And they can run through those trees, cut out those interior limbs. They're still keeping the structure of the tree. So there's an art behind mm-hmm. it. It's not going up there just cutting these things back like people do crepe myrtles. Right. They're using cranes <coughs> also. Just ama- Now, what makes a professional tree pruner because there's so many people out there pruning trees and sometimes and i've heard stories where they really didn't know how to prune the trees and they did more damage so what do we need to check for on the person that's going to prune our? well first of all if you're talking to some of these uh, major tree companies here in town uh, they're all going to have arborists on staff and they're usually going to have a crew of no they know what they're doing now if you get the guy in the rusted pickup okay Mm -hmm. And, and the wheels are wobbling as they're coming down the street, and they've got this magnetic sign on either door. 
that says I'll cut your tree for cheap, <laughs> you know, you're going to probably get what you're asking yeah. for. I'm mm-hmm. telling you. So I try not see, to do business with anybody that operates out of a tent or a pickup. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> just, I'm telling you, Jim, I've seen it too many um, times. Yeah, you know, they'll they should their head guy should be an arborist for one thing, but also um, they're not going to be the cheapest. Okay, mm-hmm. and always get a couple, two or three different estimates. Absolutely. Okay? Um, they're in business. They, you know, they make money by doing stuff. And so sometimes I have seen them recommend some things that really weren't necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you've got a good, healthy tree, there's really no reason to do anything to it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now cleaning damaged wood out. Yes, that's important because that's an, that's a place where insects and diseases can start. Especially on older trees. Right. Mm -hmm. So doing some maintenance like that. Occasionally we see where thinning is necessary. Mm -hmm. Uh, It does help air move through them. So they're a little less likely, but not a lot likely to fall from wind. Mm -hmm. It helps if you've had fungal problems in the tree, but you have there again, you have to be careful because you're you got a plant that is balanced. It's got enough top to support the bottom and enough bottom to support mm-hmm. the top. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to get those too far out of whack. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're if yeah. you cut it so severe, it's going to come out, but it's not going to be healthy. It's not going to have enough food-producing tissue to support that plant. Ultimately, you're going to get some roots dying off. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to, over the long term, see the plant suffer. So get a couple of estimates and and have them uh, tell them exactly what they're going to do and then make a, an informed decision from that. And that's what I meant a while ago, saying when you're driving down the street and you see some of these beautiful oak trees that have been properly maintained and pruned, uh, and, and they look great, you know, and then you keep driving and you see some of these that really yeah. need a little maintenance, and there's a big difference between the two. Mm-hmm. And if it's done right, if it's done by a professional, Mm-hmm. you're in good shape. That's one of the things you have to consider when buying a home is look at the trees and you need to budget your expensive based on your trees mm-hmm. too, for real. I mean, it's just bottom line. Okay, do a break and we'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Remember last time I was reading out of the Organic Gardening and Farming Magazine from 1968. You got that magazine for 60 cents. You can still buy DDT then. Yes. Oh, the good could. stuff. Which yeah. I wish we could do now. Yeah. But uh, I like reading all the people's comments and things because it's still all all true now. But this one was so cute. I mean, is this a gardener or what? And this it, is from 1968? Yeah, 1968. He's like, I traveled over most of Canada, United States, and Mexico, and I have yet to see a garden that equals mine. <laughs> is that a gardener well, or what? Well, you know what they say, beauty's in the eye of the owner. <laughs> that's it. That's what, that's <laughs> that's what's what I'm so thinking. Is that a good or bad funny. thing? He says his, his uh, garden is the talk of his entire section of the town and he's enclosed um photographs and all of that to whoever he was sending it to but i thought it was so cute when there's like i've traveled everywhere and i just gotta tell you mine looks best <laughs> overall <laughs> and jan jan children's texting in again y'all and talking about trimming trees while ago i gotta say this he says <laughs> you know you go to the reputable tree trimmer 
the fly-by-night tree trimmer comes to you. That's right. That's <laughs> you right. tell that's me that's not one. true. That is so true. Knocking on your door. Oh, I hear so many horrible stories. Oh, y'all remember how I kept getting hacked with the uh, trying the, to sell the puppies and all? Yeah, I sent you a note this week wanting to know how many puppies you actually have God, left. I know. I how mean, do I I've keep having that those? like 10 times. On her Facebook it's page. It's making me crazy. Are but they still doing it? Well, yep. uh, I, and week. I don't even know now that it's happening because it's not on my page. Mm-hmm. It's a page that somebody's created using my stuff and, and information. And it responds immediately when you put in something. It gives you the same response just right on top right. of it. Well, so see, this happened crazy. to uh, Tom D's on. So they did a big news report on how this, they're getting people for like $1,500 and all. I mean, the, puppies. what I heard when people were calling me and complaining about it was like it was $100 or $150 that they were scamming them for and sending it to a cash app app you know so please again <laughs> i have gotten a rash in the last month of uh people requesting money from me mm. through my paypal account wow you know, gives you a chance to deny it you Thank know which you have to do otherwise it processes that payment uh Good so, Lord. yeah it's check. really uh really unusual no, this is crazy so no i still because i'm wondering it's the same picture of the puppies because yeah. people are screenshotting and this mm-hmm. has been going on since august 19th of tons of documentation that's not me and you've tried to take this page down and you just and people's it. reported it and reported it and how do you get in touch with facebook unless yeah. you just say something irate that doesn't agree with them and then they put you in facebook jail but yeah. you still don't get to actually talk to them. So y'all just be careful for anything right now because it's Christmas and they're trying to do that. But, you know, some people's asked me, when do we cut roses? Can we cut roses now? You know, that's what they're asking. I'm like, well, well surely yeah, what they yeah. call winter pruning or wind pruning. And usually, and y'all back me up on this, is cutting about a third. No, let, Jim, let's not back him up. Cutting about, a, <laughs> cutting about a third of the height out of there mm-hmm. uh, and it just keeps the winter winds from rocking these roses back and forth and like we've also talked about before i like the idea of cutting about a third of the rose uh tissue off this time of year if you hadn't already done it because also we know that's usually where most of the mite populations are on these roses that are causing the rose rosette disease so that's just another reason i don't mind going in there in, uh, in winter pruning my roses. So we see that rose rosette on the knockouts constantly. Right. But like on all the other roses, we never heard of it as much, but it was a thing. Yes. Been around for years, but it just, you didn't see it that much because one, they're just, you had few people growing roses. Roses have always been high maintenance here. Mm-hmm. You had to spray them with a fungicide and insecticide about every 14 days as long as you have them, mm-hmm. you know, but there were people who did that, yeah. you know, had large yeah. numbers of roses and it was just part of their routine. Um, but they were scattered. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't easy for an infected mite to even move around. Mm. And this mite is the vector of the viral that's causing rose rosette. Right. And like Jim was saying, and Betty, we said this before, is now there's so many roses out there on the market, especially a lot of these shrub roses, like the knockouts, the drifts, Mm. and everything in between. There's just so many more roses out there. So, of course, this little mite that is blown around by the wind, he's got a million more roses he can just, you know, plop himself on and... Mm. 
We have a uh, drift rose planted, and it's gotten very big. I mean, it's shrub rose, basically, drift but rose. But not quite as big as the knockouts, though. Oh, definitely not. Yeah. It's, for a small uh, rose, it's supposed to be like a ground cover rose. A drift rose is like two and a half feet. But right now, it's in full white bloom mm-hmm. and all the folk, maybe a little green in the yellow, in the, or yellow in the middle. But I'm not going to prune that at all because it's gorgeous yeah, right now. You don't have to. Yeah. And then, you know, people will go out there in early March, mid-February, early March, even mid-March, and, and do their major pruning. And, uh, and we're really talking about hybrid teas. Exactly. You know, hybrid teas, mm-hmm. floribundas, uh, grandiflorus, yeah. those that get large, have large flowers. Uh, that's where we prune them hard because the harder you prune them, the better flower you're going to have. Yeah, but but I still like the idea of cutting even the shrub roses, the knockouts in particular, back about a yes. third right. uh, this time of year for those two reasons. And I'd like to do it after every flush of bloom. Yeah, yes, sheer that back helps. Twelve inches or so. Very that way you're very likely to avoid mm-hmm. the the disease. That and absolutely works. Yeah. So yeah, I mean pruning, uh, you know, roses. Uh, this time of year, but major pruning, typically mm-hmm. speaking, especially like Jim was just in on the on the hybrid teas, in you know mid February, early March. You know, we had a lot of questions in the last week or so about Christmas cacti. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, there there are differences. Okay, there are actually that we see on the market three different cacti. The one we call a Thanksgiving because. If left alone, it would normally bloom around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. There's one that blooms normally around Christmas, and there's one that normally blooms around Easter. And didn't you now, say, Jim, that most time that we're seeing and buying these days are Thanksgiving, right? Thanks, because they have the prettiest foliage. And we call know, them Christmas cactus. And yeah. they're artificially shaded to get them to bloom at the correct time. Now, next year, depending on where you have them, will regulate when it blooms, okay? If it's getting enough filtered sun it may bloom right on schedule Mm -hmm. it may bloom in january Mm -hmm. if it's not it's all based on the length of the photo period Mm -hmm. so you know we the ones that you get right now in grocery stores like i bought one this week that was uh, almost white with a pink picotee edge it's just fabulous they're beautiful uh, when they're in blue yeah and it just makes nice table color even if you decide not to keep it you right know, right you that's know true. You, get, you get 30 or 45 days yeah. of color uh, but put them somewhere you need. While they're in bud, you want to keep them moist. Mm-hmm. Now, once they get out of blooming, then you want to let them water them and let them go dry before you water again. Yeah. Before you water because if you're again. not keeping them moist, you get bud drop. That's right. So oh, it's so frustrating. All those pretty little buds just falling right out. There's just all your blooms, and the one that I've started having more requests for and having hard to find is the white Christmas cactus. Mm-hmm. And so as I was going getting plants, and I saw one white mm-hmm. Christmas cactus, and I had somebody on my Christmas list that wanted it. Mm-hmm. So I'm breaking the door down, making sure I can get that one. Get back, you know. I'm keeping care of it. So then I text this person. I go so. Yeah, you were looking for Christmas cactus, uh, the white one, right? And she's like, no, I don't ever want a white Christmas cactus. <laughs> 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 I worked so hard for that white Christmas And they Christmas come in, cactus. you know, reds and shades of red and pinks and, and shades of pink yeah. and purple. Yeah. It actually come in a yellow bloom, uh, the white. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I tell you what, my wife has got one in full bloom right now. And yeah, it's a, it's a reddish with a little bit of white in it. And when they're in full bloom like that, mm-hmm. it, there's nothing that quite looks like that plant other That's than true. that plant. 
and it's it's really striking. Uh, it's when it when it's blooming. And now I don't like the way they look when they're not blooming. In fact, yeah. I kind of hate the way they look when they're not yeah. blooming. I, I used to have a, like three baker's racks, and they were covered with them in the kitchen. You know, when they're in bloom, they are spectacular. I agree, Jim. And I've always really liked them. You know, and then one day Carol said, "You know, they're just really not very pretty when they're not in bloom." Yeah, that's the way I feel. Uh, oh well. Maybe, maybe so. So, so now he doesn't have a baker's rack full of unbloomed. I just have a couple. Now. There you go. <laughs> you know, if you plant them with um, like succulents or cactus, other styles of cactus, that that you could call that your your draping yeah. part of your container garden, and then look at it as pretty foliage versus. Well, that's just a plant with no blooms. Well, right and now. of course, this time of year, you know, people are still in the Christmas mode. You know, buying Christmas cactus mm-hmm. and poinsettias. And bulbs and, and Christmas trees Christmas. and garlands and all. so it you know it's still a fun festive time of year. Oh, and don't forget your Master Gardener's Garden Calendar. Go to Independent Garden Centers; you'll find it there. And we will see you next Saturday in the garden.